Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. We uh, spoke on yesterday's show with uh, Ian Rowe, who founded a network of charter schools offering uh, international baccalaureate uh, degrees at the high school level. He's coming to town. He's part of the Woodson Center, part of that black character and uh, history curriculum that was developed. Coming to town to talk up there uh, for the New True Neighbors Group in Wilmette on Monday, celebration of National School Choice Week, where school choice is uh, on the rise in two-thirds of the, almost two-thirds of the states in this country. Not in Illinois. And we told you when we sounded the death knell for the tax credit scholarship program in Illinois that we knew, and by the way, the archdiocese knew, that it would result in school closures, Catholic school closures. Well, we told you it would happen, and it's starting. Policy consequences. The pastors of St. Francis of Rome School in Cicero and St. Odilio School in uh, Berwyn announced yesterday both schools will close in June of this year, bringing an end to a combined total of 196 years of Catholic education at, the, at their locations. Almost 200 years of Catholic education if, uh, in those schools, in those, you know, working class to middle uh, income uh, communities of Cicero and Berwyn. Gone. And, of course, the uh, Arch has come up with, you know, cover story. Well, we need to consolidate our resources there because uh, can't support four schools, that region. And so, you know, if we don't consolidate our resources, we could lose all four, right? Um, but that's not really – I mean, that may be – very well true and that may make sense in that narrow sense but um, you knew schools would close and I think there's upwards of a dozen more to go at least just in the arch you knew it would happen and I'm sorry where was Cardinal Supich as his good buddy Jelly Boy and uh, his henchman, Chris Welch, the House Speaker for Maywood, of course, both of those individuals send their kids to private schools and have, of course. Where was Supich in this discussion? When they were killing the tax credit scholarship and the opportunities for tens of thousands of children and families throughout the state of Illinois? I mean, Supich did squat. You know, because it takes teamwork. You have to have 
an, an entity like the archdiocese fold into the state in order to deprive kids of opportunities that have been conferred to them through a program like the tax credit scholarship program. So um, mission accomplished, Cardinal Supich, in service of Jelly Boy and company. Mission accomplished. Let's just focus on uh, uh, climate change. Right, Cardinal Supich? Not the, not the schools you operate, that the Archdiocese operates? No, not the schools, not the opportunities that Catholic schools provide for kids, whether they're Catholic or not, in terms of a better quality education in comparison in Chicagoland in particular to a lot of neighborhood schools in Chicago in particular, Chicago proper. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 646-360-DA, turnkey.pro text line. Uh, the um, uh, pastor... At St. Francis Rome, we have while we've navigated tight budgets in the past, the loss of scholarship program has created an insurmountable gap. Uh, the uh, pastor at the other school in Berwyn, more than half the students at our, our two schools rely on the scholarships. These are hardworking families who want a Catholic education for their children. Nope. Nope. Better Somebody better call the son of Svenguli, see if he can help. Does it does it sicken you? Yeah, where we need to, to. I mean, I say this all the time. Oh, what's going on in D.C. and what's going on at the border? All legitimate issues. What's going on in my backyard? I don't know. How, why are these community? Why the neighborhood I, in which I live and the neighborhoods around me, or the communities in which I live or grew up? Why are they disintegrating? I don't, I don't know. You ever challenge your neighbors on that? Like um, people are more compelled at the moment to challenge their neighbor on sanctuary city and state status and the migrant situation. The, I mean, the one I just repeat what I keep saying, the one positive policy, policy development in this godforsaken state in the worst governed city in America, in the worst governed state in the country, and the country's history, the one positive, and you had a constituency. We had a constituency. And we couldn't even hold on to that. We knew what the consequences were be, would be. And who said what? Oh, yeah, we uh, put some parents in a bus and send them down to Springfield to get uh, beat up behind closed doors in a bunch of uh, legislators' office who were shining them onto their face. Congratulations. Strategic genius there. A real uh, profile and courage. As opposed to getting these families and parents and allies, to borrow a favorite word of the left, to throw this city and this region up for grabs over this issue. Nah, we don't want to make no ways. We don't want to back no losers. Right, Cardinal? Mike in Yorkville, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Man, good morning. You know, I have children in private school, too, and, you know, it's, it's a systemic problem, not only from the Catholic schools, all the way down to the privates. If you look yeah. 
other schools that are in the other states that where those families can reclaim from their real estate taxes, which are purely illegal, basically getting taxed every year on something you own outright. But you can never use your money from those taxes to go ahead and send my children to a place of my choice. And if Democrats are for my choice, why are they not for my choice in education? You know, you, you, just like you said, you know, Cardinal uh, Supich, it's not even just him. It's the communist pope that is focused on more about gay marriage and climate change and never about these families. And those suburbs, they've already been destroyed by illegal immigrants that have been coming in because they're never going to be able to afford to put those in there because those people are used to having the government give them everything. Thanks for the call, Mike. I mean, I, I, I mean, right, I've got my issues with Pope Francis, but just this is within the control of the residents and alleged political, civic, nonprofit, and, yes, religious leaders in the state. And, and, and what did they do? They're engaged enough to know what the consequences were but they just said, I'm not willing to spend political capital. I'm not willing to suffer any consequences. If my families, the families in the arch, just to stick with this example, if they have to suffer consequences, if that's the collateral damage to maintain my good rapport with Jelly Belly, well, okay. And, and and the revolt in the Catholic Church? Who, who's going to say what on Sunday at Mass in your local parish? That's what I want to hear. Who's going to go up to the pastor of your church, whether it's impacted by this or not, because it, everybody's impacted, I'm to, to, indirectly, if not directly. You're going to say what to your pastor? You're going to say what to your fellow parishioners about soupage, about what's transpired, about what's coming, more school closures. What are you going to do? What are you going to challenge the leadership of your parish to do? Just sit silently by and watch it all disintegrate and say, those people are terrible. While I sat silently by, watching them do terrible things. Chris on the Dan Ryan. I, uh, I agree with you, Dan. I, here's the deal on this one. We can thank the Chicago Teachers Union for this and thank uh, our beautiful mayor for all this stuff because he pushed the hell out of this to get the mayor, uh, to get the Jelly Belly guy to do this. Um, shame on those guys that agreed with this. Uh, we are losing our free choice in Illinois one iota at a time, one inch at a time. And it's just no one realizes it because it's just a small step that before you know it, you've got two feet of people that no longer have choices anymore so right that's yeah. in my opinion i'm not a religious man yeah. but you know yeah no i appreciate it thanks for the call chris yeah right now i uh, you know i don't have kids at uh those schools in berwin or cicero so what do i care okay bill on the northwest side dan these democrats in the archdiocese are disgusting totally immoral that what they're doing to these children is is just it's monstrous and I just hope there's some outrage from the parents. We really need to hear from those parents. They really need to to get on the megaphone and, and, and voice what's happening to their children because that's really what needs to happen. It's terrible. Absolutely. Thanks, Bill. Greg Jefferson Park. 
Hey, good morning, guys. You know, they did that with Our Lady of Victory. The uh, Archdiocese said, you guys got to come up with, uh, the parishioners got to come up with, it was like a million bucks, whatever. So they had this huge money drive. They got the money, gave it to uh, the Archdiocese, and they closed the school anyway. And now it's part of CPS. It is despicable what goes on uh, with the Archdiocese and, and everything else around here. And it, it, it just, you know, I, I don't know what to tell you, but uh, nothing good is coming out of it. And it just keeps going and going and going down the drain. Have a good Thanks one. for the call, Greg. Who wants to march on the, the Cardinal's residence downtown? Yeah, he's got a Gold Coast mansion, too, just like Jelly Belly. On behalf of the mainly brown kids, since that's how they talk, these identitarians, in Berwyn and Cicero, who are now displaced. Who wants to march? Raise your hand. Who's going to pass the word at their parish this weekend? Listen to Dan and Amy on your smartphone. Download the AM560 mobile app today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Hello, Dan. Uh, Mr. Uh, BLM Brandon went to Washington, D.C. What did he come back with? (laughs) He was joined by uh, Denver Mayor Mike Johnston, who's uh, another complete knucklehead like just about every other big city mayor basically every mayor of a city with more than 300,000 people is the same person um, I know he was there because uh, oh, he's tweeting about it he's got a picture there where he's uh, looking very engaged with uh, DHS secretary Ali Mayorkas today I joined Mike Johnston Colorado and secretary Mayorkas to strategize ways to continue advocating for increased funding coordination to aid with new arrivals together we can streamline processes around funding to effectively support the operations of our receiving cities um, just in case again anybody was unclear about the position unlimited migrants coming not a problem just give us the cash just give us the cash to do it and we'll continue to receive be a receiving city be a welcoming city that's what he's saying 312-642-5600 turnkey.pro answer line 64636 type in da then a quick comment 
Uh, Does it sound like he wants to change the policy or stop the immigrants from coming in? They just need more money. Give me that, Dan. He doesn't want the federal government doesn't want to stop the flow, and neither do these big city, big blue city mayors and blue state governors. Uh, and he's also going to need a little bit more money for the legal defense fund. So add that to the tab for the feds. I'm sure Texas transportation company suing Chicago over the rules the city put in place to restrict unscheduled buses carrying asylum seekers. Good lawsuit filed by Irving based wind transportation um, said the city is violating federal and state laws with its restrictions. And um, yeah, so uh you know, the battle has been joined. The uh, effort to find buses, well, buses are coming back over the top at, against these big cities with their ordinances like Chicago and saying, well, um, you can't uh, violate federal and state law. And this was an issue that some people had suggested in terms of uh, being reticent, agreeing with the the attitude behind ordinances, municipal ordinances to prohibit unscheduled bus drops, but being a little concerned about the legal exposure. This is what some of those politicians were talking about. So they weren't necessarily being weak need on the topic. They were just saying maybe that's not the uh, best approach because we don't, you know, want to pay our lawyers any more than we have to. I'm telling anyway, you, this is waking up the black community. I mean, I know COVID wasn't enough to change people's minds about the Democratic Party, about J.B. Pritzker, because then Roe v. Wade got overturned. But I really think that this is going to be the breaking point where the black community in Chicago is like, that's enough. We want to go. We want Trump. Well, Charlemagne the God, who's this popular urban uh, talk show host in New York City. I think he's actually nationally syndicated, too. But anyway, uh, he, uh, you know, he's 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 sort of half gets some of it, which is. Where a lot of those who are disaffected from the Dems, but they can't quite put all the pieces together. I know what they're doing doesn't make sense. I know what they're doing is not just not helping me, it's harming me. But I can't quite connect all the dots to understand exactly what's going on and what needs to be going on. But anyway, he was uh, talking about this very issue in terms of the feedback that he's getting from his audience and from people with whom he speaks which includes uh, a large black audience, a large portion of his audience are uh, black listeners. And this is what he said. Like, I've, I've, I honestly have never spoken to as many people who are concerned about the migrant issue as I have, you know, o- over the past year. And I mean, I've heard everything from, you know, uh, uh, the gang MS-13, you know, uh, overrunning neighborhoods. I've heard, um you know, what we saw just happened in New York City where the migrants, they took 2,000 migrants and, and, and put them in the school and made the school stay home, made the, the students stay home and, 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 and uh, you know, do school via, via via Zoom. And that was a big issue. Like, I mean, people were calling the radio station. That was just this week, you know, really, really, really complaining about that. So I've never seen, you know, Working class people who I interact with every day until this past year really, really, really express their frustration for the migrants. And it's not even just the people like you see politicians who once, you know, championed having the migrants in the city like the mayor, Eric Adams of New York. Now they're like, yo, hold up. This is this is too much. Three one two six four two fifty six hundred Turnkey Pro answer line six four six three six D A Turnkey Pro text line. I mean, just whether black, white, or 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 other, um, the um, people play by the rules. 
you know, the, the, the party I wanted to create a decade ago. I think yes. maybe it needs to be created more so now than ever. People play by the rules in your circles, in your neighborhood, in your community. You know, regular working class stiffs uh, like Amy. Uh, Thank you. And, yeah, right. I have two and, jobs. I'm going to get a third job. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, right, you know, Uber not driver. not candy ass ivory tower types like me. Yeah. I'm talking about working yes. people who contribute. Um, so what are they saying? I mean, do you sense that there is um, uh, engagement, motivation that is unprecedented, uh, you know, of a political nature that is unprecedented? You haven't seen this sort of even with the revolt in support of Trump in 2016. Uh, you haven't seen this sort of reaction or you're getting reaction from quarters from friends and colleagues that you haven't seen before, like Charlemagne the God is mentioning. I mean, I just like minded people have got to start working together. Yeah. But what's happening is my question. I mean, that's right. I mean, I, I, is that what people are seeing? Well, you know, they fought back and won against migrants or illegal aliens going into the Amundsen Fieldhouse. That was a collective effort that they didn't they did not put lift their foot off the gas at all in that situation. And they won. But then you have white people doing the same thing at, say, the Broadway Armory. And they don't really care about white people. At least Brandon Johnson doesn't. But if the black community puts their foot down, they listen to them. And that's I'm fine with that. That's good. Well, I, I, I understand racial politics, but my, that's not my question. My question is. What do you actually see happening? What is your experience? What are you hearing and seeing that's different, if you're hearing and seeing something different? I'm hearing people at my church very upset about the migrants because one aspect was we're encouraging to, to come. A lot of people are dying on the journey. And then when they get here, we're not prepared for them, and they're living in squalor. I mean, that and place so in Pilsen is pretty – that's not good. I mean, with the roaches and the rats and all that, but – and so um, the Marxists at your church want to do what? They want to seal the border. They want to. Really? Yes. Not seal the border, but they want to stop people from flowing into this country, which knocked the wind out of my sail. I was. Hmm. That's a start, Dan. All right. Start. Tom and Oswego, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Good morning, Dan and Amy. I think the problem hasn't really, <clears throat> excuse me, impacted enough people enough yet. Um, one thing I've noticed, and, and with my own children, is a lot of people are working from home now. They're doing things on Zoom. As long as they're in their home and feel safe, and they can order, uh, you know, order food out to be delivered, it's not impacting them. You notice a lot of the migrants, and I call them migrants, illegal immigrants. They're all being, you know, packed into uh, centers or ten cities. So I don't really think it's impacting enough. Until the government says you need, you're required to take on one immigrant in your home if you have the space or we're going to penalize you, it, nothing's going to change until it's so bad that people wake up and they don't know what happened. It's, it's going to get there. Thanks. Thanks for the call. I, I mean, they're going to force us to take migrants or illegals into our homes. If they no, offer us money, I... I'm, I'm sure some people would do it. Uh, just money, sign-up sheets. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's all you need. All you need is a sign-up sheet for the enlightened, for those who want to live their values. Uh, a lot of stories, though, come out coming out. Maybe this also, um, you know, challenges people's understanding of things. Now that maybe more people are paying a little bit more attention. 
the uh, story about, you know, every every migrant is not the same. I know that's a a radical statement, but this is the way it's characterized. And to some extent by both. Every migrant is a threat to the country. That's not true. Every migrant is um, uh, one of the huddled masses yearning to be free. That's not true either. Jose Menjivar is an illegal migrant with four deportations and three DUI convictions. Last month, he was released by a judge in Colorado after his third DUI on probation and community service. Four days later, he killed 46-year-old Melissa Powell and her 16-year-old son, uh, Reardon, during during yet another DUI incident in Broomfield, Colorado. That's four days later, his fourth DUI, after being put on probation for his third DUI. He's here in this country illegally. And he killed this beautiful mother and her son. That's, That's so sad. He it, shouldn't does, have been does, here in the first place. Does anybody want to argue that he should have been? I, I can't hear you, BLM Brandon. I can't hear you, Jelly Boy. I can't hear you, big guy. Uh, Bill Malugan reporting. An illegal immigrant from Haiti charged with raping a developmentally disabled person in Boston released from jail into the community after the sanctuary jurisdiction in Dorchester refused to honor ICE's detainer request. ICE in Boston just found and rearrested him, and they call the local decision to release him without notice disturbing. Oh, really? The um, background. The Haitian man first arrived at a port of entry in Brownsville, Texas, December 22. He was deemed inadmissible and released into the U.S. with a future court date. And then, so that's December 22. Um A year and almost two years later, September 23, Boston police arrested him for rape and indecent assault and battery on a disabled person. So that's some of what is happening, too. Those are real stories documented. That's not being a nativist. That's not being uh, that's not othering anybody. That's not suffering from any phobia, xenophobia or any other phobia. Those are real stories that happening. And if you want to argue that this Haitian migrant should have been here and that's how he should have been handled and that 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 the uh, migrant I mentioned in Colorado here illegally for DUIs, that's how he should have been. And that's how it should have been handled. It was handled flawlessly. Then you go ahead and make that argument. But let's have that debate. Well, what about the the jerk in, you know, at that shelter uh, on near Elston? 1300 block of Elson. He was jumping on cars and he broke a Chicago police officer's hand. She was trying to stop him. He's still gone because the judge wouldn't hold him on bond. Well, we don't have bond, but she, she didn't see him as a threat to society. They still can't find him. Yes. And when the, they do find him, they're not going to give him to ICE because all the angel that. families that we've that Trump talked about during his presidency, that he platformed during the RNC, that we've talked to on this show, the McCann family in Chicago, the Brady family in, in central Illinois. I mean, the, 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 these are real people, too. And there have been real victims of choices that politicians and their constituents who installed them have made. So, you know, we're just telling stories and it's anecdotal and I'm not extrapolating beyond the anecdote. I'm just saying this is a part of it. We have a pretty good data on the number of violent criminals that are allowed to stay in this country or get come back again and again, going all the way back to the infamous, terrible Kate Steinle case out of San Francisco. And we're supposed to believe 
this propaganda from the government that everybody is just uh, a workaday person trying to get a better life. First of all, that's not the standard to get into this country to to be granted asylum for these asylum seekers, economic migrants. That is not a legitimate asylum claim. I think a lot of people don't appreciate that, even for the good people who are just looking for a better life and are otherwise peaceful and and wonderful people and all that. It's not legitimate under the law for asylum. All these conversations are very matter of fact, very straightforward. That's why they don't want to have them, because they are so straightforward, because it is so obvious, because even the person paying uh, superficial attention understands this, uh, understands this exactly, frankly, what Charlemagne the God said about what he's hearing. Uh, Tina and Joliet. Good morning, guys. Morning. Um, I would encourage everybody, please go to your local council meetings. They are listening. They're paying attention. Not only are they being, um, they're listening to their residents because the residents are furious. And I'm talking cross crosses all all races everybody's mad um but secondly um they don't have the resources and they recognize that uh without the the resources it it will absolutely cripple whatever budgets they have but i at i spoke at a juliet council meeting on january 2nd they held the meeting specifically to address the migrant buses that were being sent here and I printed up from the Department of Homeland Security uh, the application to sponsor a migrant family and brought them to the meeting. And I asked any of the open border zealots in the audience to please see me <laughs> if they wanted help filling out the, the application that they could take on the financial responsibility for the next 10 years of an illegal immigrant. And shockingly, nobody took me up on my offer. Good for you. Thanks for the call, Tina. Um, something else too. Dave Rubin posted this. This picture, um, this uh, sign that was posted as uh, he was in the pre-TSA line at some airport. Um, Non-U.S. citizen document validation using CBP-1 technology. TSA is partnering with CBP to test the use of CBP-1 to validate adult non-U.S. citizens' travel documentation when traveler does not otherwise have an acceptable form of identification. They're making, God, they're changing the rules for these people. Uh, Notify the TSA officer if you're a migrant. The TSA officer will take a photo. That's optional. Oh, okay. If requested, provide your alien ID or or biographic information, follow officer instructions, so on and so forth. So, right. Um, Migrants don't have to have an ID to get through security, and it's their choice whether they want their picture taken. And you think that... uh, and and you don't think, I should say, that TSA is just security theater? But, I mean, this is also obviously coming down from the top. Right. So, again, what does that tell you about the ideological commitment this administration has to the endless stream of migrants? Quickly, uh, Philip in Missouri. Hello, Dan. I, I enjoy your show. Uh, you're very articulate, and you don't really talk about the obvious. I think we're smart enough to read between the lines. Uh, I think when these Democrat cities hand out these entitlements to two different different groups, if one group gets more than the other, 
it could cause a civil unrest. I'm going to let you explain and talk. Thank you so much. Thanks for the call, Philip. Appreciate it. Listen to Dan and Amy on your smartphone. Download the AM560 mobile app today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank, member FDIC, Equal housing lender. Signature Bank. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Before we uh, get to national politics... Some reactions to uh, the news out. We started the show discussing that uh, two schools, St. Francis of Rome in Cicero, St. Odillo in Berwyn, are being closed by the Arch effective June, thanks to the repeal of the tax credit scholarship program. So a bunch of largely Latino families in those communities, um, their kids are going to have to find a new place to go to school. It's getting some reactions to that. That's a shame. I was a 74 grad of St. Adillo. I'm not sure what the Archdiocese is doing, letting these fine schools close. The communities need these schools. Parents need an option. Soupage continues to fail families and children. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another note we received. Glad you're discussing the sad situation regarding the closing of St. Adillo's school. My wife and I have been attending the Sunday Uh, service uh, the last number of years, and we're always impressed at the number of CCD kids in attendance. This speaks directly to Father Bart, the pastor, and his zeal and his holiness. There's a spirit at St. Odillo, unlike anything we see, even at our hometown parish. This uh, gentleman is from Hinsdale. Your shining a light on this will hopefully help to continue to reveal the scam perpetrated by the teachers' unions and these Weasley politicians. This will be a major loss for so many kids, their families, and Chicagoland as a whole. Hmm. Oh, well. It's what we want. Right? 196 years combined. Educating people in the community. It's so sad. Oh, and um, I just, like, I wanted to be, uh, make sure I didn't use this guy's name without getting his approval, but I just got it. Okay. So the, the guy who goes to St. Odillo's with his wife from Hinsdale, Steve Marrero, okay. happy to use his name. He's happy to put his name on the dotted line. So if you are in the region, that's a problem, real so problem. Let's march in front of Supage's mansion. Uh, that's what I proposed. We'll see if uh, that generates any interest. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, meanwhile, um, 
Well, you know, let me ask this question before we get to it, before we get to this sort of latest revelation about how the federal government is Stasiifying American culture. This is this is from the Weaponization of Government Committee, but weaponization is overused, number one, and it's too euphemistic. What you're about to hear, uh, per a letter from Jim Jordan to the Department of Treasury, is the Stasiification, the lives of others, like, uh, uh, fication of America. But before I get to that, this whole conversation that's been going on, and I'm sure you've heard some of it from these pundits who share a brain on the cable news shows, that uh, ooh, Joe Biden is pursuing a risky strategy with respect to making the election fundamentally about January 6th, about MAGA dictatorship versus save our democracy. That, but it, and, and then so that's it. Oh, it's risky. That's the left. And then the right is that's oh, all he's got because, uh, you know, the economy's in the tank for most of the American people, the border situation, yeah. uh, the uh, the um, uh, wars in which we're entangled. Uh, Right, so he has nothing so to run on. What, what has he accomplished? Yeah, right. So that's what you get from the pundits on the right and the, oh, it's risky. Ooh, ah. He's got to do more than just noun, verb, January 6th. You know, it's from like the axelrods and the, you know, he's got to be better. Here's a question. If everything was clicking along nicely and the majority of the country was doing well economically, you know, in their own minds. They were doing well. They were content. Do you think Biden's messaging would be any different? If he was cruising to re-election, if he had approval ratings over 60 rather than under 35, do you think his messaging would be any different? 312-642-5600, 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636-DA, turnkey.pro text line. I don't think so. Do you? Well, we'll get to it. Okay. I mean, I, 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 it's the subject of a commentary I just had posted over to Am Greatness, and I'll get people's reaction to it, and then you can explain why you don't think so as well. But just let's add this into the conversation, what I mentioned from Jim Jordan. Uh, sending a letter to... Um, Whatever, I don't know, some functionary, one of these, you know, bureaucrat uh, clerics. Uh, Following January 6, 2021, FinCEN, which is the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, FinCEN distributed materials to financial institutions that, among other things, outline the typologies of various persons of interest and provide financial institutions with suggested search terms and merchant category codes for identifying transactions on behalf of federal law enforcement. These materials included a document recommending the use of generic terms like Trump and MAGA to search search Zelle payment messages. Uh, as well as a prior FinCEN analysis of lone actor homegrown violent extremist indicators. According to this analysis, FinCEN warned financial institutions of extremism indicators 
that include transportation charges such as bus tickets, rental cars, or plane tickets for travel with no apparent purpose, or to purchase the purchase of books, including religious texts, and subscriptions to other media containing extremist views. In other words, writes Jordan, FinCEN used large financial institutions to comb through the private transactions of their customers for suspicious charges on the basis of protected political and religious expression. You know what this reminds me of when the IRS targeted Tea Party members? Yes. This is a, just a redux of that. Yes. It is, that's, a, that's an apt comparison. Well, this is, this is the development of that. You know, you Take expect it, it further. Expect it from the IRS in terms of conferring nonprofit status. Well, now let's get forget the IRS. Now let's get the non the, get the private sector involved. I mean, we've seen this before. This is all uh, on a continuum with uh, banks closing the accounts of um, you know gun makers, for example. Right. We've seen that from the big banks. And in Canada, if you weren't vaccinated, remember they would shut down your accounts for truckers. The committee also um, found FinCEN distributed slides explaining how other financial institutions can use merchant codes to detect customers whose transactions may reflect potential active shooters and who may include dangerous international terrorists, domestic terrorists, or homegrown violent extremists. For example, the MCC codes that may indicate a homegrown violent extremist, a domestic terrorist, Small arms, sporting and recreational goods and supplies, Cabela's, Dick's Sporting Goods. These are the terms you're supposed to search as a financial institution, the merchant codes you can use, among others. I mean, the list is dozens and dozens of examples long, all have to do with guns and sporting and politics as and religion to some extent as jordan mentioned protected political and religious speech um you're supposed to search these terms and communicate with federal law enforcement if you think as some clerk in a big bank that uh your search terms of a particular came up with particular individuals who should be looked at by federal law enforcement. How is that not Stasiifying the federal government? Stasiifying the well, Stasiifying America, the federal government doing it by folding in what the private sector, just as they folded in big tech companies to censor Americans to do for the the federal government what it can't do directly for itself. Just as the church folds in, as we've talked about, when it comes to pick a topic, any topic, with respect to the Catholic Church, folds into the state. We take our cues from the state. We operate within the bounds that uh, the state prescribes, even if those boundaries are illegitimate, and we're always in service of the state. If we're the Catholic Church, we're not in service of God, we're in service of the state. If we're a bank, we're not in service of our customers, we're in service of the state. 312 is our turnkey.pro answer line. You could text us at 64636, type in DA, then a quick comment. And you know why? Why? Because there is a certain 
subset of Americans who are doing quite well and are quite pleased with President Biden and the administration. This piece from Kim Strassel in the Wall Street Journal, the uh, them versus us election. I mean, it's always sort of is, but this is the uh, interesting part. This is uh, per a recent survey that was done by Rasmussen um, for our for actually for the Committee to Unleash Prosperity, Steve Moore's group. For more than a year, uh, Rasmussen has been intrigued by a consistent outlier data from a subset of Americans, which he has later identified as those with a postgraduate degree earning more than one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year and living in a high density area. Rasmussen uh, conducted two surveys of those quote-unquote elites and compared their views to everyone else. So that subset, that small subset of Americans who fit that criteria. 74% of that subset say their finances are getting better. The rest of the country, 20% say their finances are getting better. Among Ivy League graduates, 88% say their finances are getting better. This group gives Biden an 84% approval rating. Oh, please. Compared with 40% from the rest. Large majorities of them have a favorable view of university professors, 89%. Journalists, 79%. Lawyers and union leaders, Uh-oh, what? 78%. Even members of Congress. Oh. The rest of the country right. views a Congress uh, in the same way that it views lice. And this group, 67% approval rating for, for Congress. 50% of this group believes the U.S. provides too much individual freedom. Please. 77% of this group supports strict rationing of gas, meat, and electricity to fight climate change. The rest of the country, 28% support it. That's the divide. It's not racial. It's the, you know, to, to go back to the Middle Ages, since this is where they would take us, it is the nobility, the nobles, versus the vassals and the peasants. And, you know, they throw uh, something at the peasants to keep them in line and supporting the nobles. This is what Joel Kotkin writes about in the coming neo-feudalism. That's the landscape. So, right, QE Bono, who benefits from all these policies that are being pursued? Well, there you go. There's who benefits. Yeah, the elite. And they're ecstatic about it. Now, of course, um, there are people who fit into that uh, that that cohort, you know, by, by the uh, demographics that I just relayed that Scott Rasmussen defined that do not support any of those things. I'm one of them, for example. But um, but I mean, those numbers from that cohort, the clerisy, if you will, well, it says it all. Wait, why, why these policies? Who are they in service of? Well, there's your answer. Meanwhile, almost 40 percent of American adults stand report that they are struggling to make ends meet each month, and that number's up 34.4% from 2022. Well, that's it. Are your finances getting better? No. 74% of that group says yes. 20% of the rest say yes. 
I mean, that's a pretty big spread. Matt on the south side. Hey, good morning, Dan. Good morning, Amy. You know, I don't think Biden's message would change one bit, even if his approval ratings were better, because his message is always about fair. He wants to play on fear and division, and that seems to work with a lot of people, even people who are being hurt by his policies. And I keep saying it, and I hope, you know, you guys say it and other uh, shows, people with a national platform, that it doesn't matter who runs, whether it's Newsom or anybody else, as long as the policies stay in same, it has nothing to do with Joe Biden's age. They need to put these people on record saying things like they're for illegal Im- immigration to prove that it's not Who's in office, but the the um, ideology instead. Thanks for the call, Matt. I mean, why why, why do you think the message uh, would be the same, even if Biden was popular and cruising to reelection, Amy? Because they have to instill fear in people in order for them to comply, to control them. You know, like if you don't vote for me, our democracy is at stake. Even if he was ahead by, even if he had an 80 percent approval rating, which would probably be unheard of. That's what the Democratic Party does. They insult right. you and they make you scared and they threaten our democracy, which I don't even know what that means. Because so, so many different people are saying it. So I just think that their message would be the same because that's all they have. And again, I'm, you know, as an American citizen, I don't know what Biden has accomplished because he hasn't accomplished anything. Life is horrible with him in office. I don't care what t- Trump tweets. I don't care anymore. And I used to care so much about that. But we weren't involved in two two wars our border was secure and inflation was nice and our mortgage rates were awesome and we're never going to get those back i don't think but life was a lot easier and more livable with him in office so um yeah i think that's directionally right i mean especially the last part but i'm what you were talking about about why the message would be the same it's directionally right here's the way i would sum it up in a single sentence biden is a company man And the business of the neo-Jacobins who control his party, just as it was the original Jacobins in France, is the annihilation of political dissent. That's what this FinCEN letter that Jim Jordan penned describing what they're doing. That's what all of that. That's what the uh, Orwellian board to patrol speech they they set up in the Department of Homeland Security is about. That's what law enforcement and intel agents colluding with big tech to censor informa- to censor Americans control information. That's what that's about. That's what the imposition of gender and racial politics in your workplace, in your kid's school, even in your family's home is about. Taking down statues, renaming public spaces, monitoring the church attendance of Catholics, turning over America's streets and campuses to the violence of every illiberal group of the moment, Antifa, Black Lives Matter. Hamas sympathizers, the annihilation of dissent. That's what this, uh, that's what the objective of this neo-Jacobin party is. Yeah, they're changing the culture. It is so much bigger than the November 2024 election, as big as that is. Larry in Elmhurst. Hey, good morning. Hey, uh, this is how far behind our government is. Uh, Dick stopped selling guns about two years ago during the woke revolution. They only think, sell ammunition. You think that matters? Well, I'm just saying they used yeah. to sell guns. But yeah, it, they, they sell ammo. They sell ammo. That's enough. Uh, you know, I go buy uh, some 12-gauge shells from Dick's Sporting Goods. That's a flag. Yeah. Somebody go look at Proft. 
Joe Naperville. Yeah, anybody who thinks that this is just by accident is is fooling themselves. This is purely by design. When you add up everything that you said, Dan, with the media, the private section, pitting neighbor against neighbor, can't even decide what the male or female is. Obama said it best. He wants to fundamentally change this country, and he is still. All those people are still in charge and in place. That's what they're doing. Thanks, Joe. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Listen to Dan and Amy on your smartphone. Download the AM560 mobile app today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Well, a bright spot this week. What's has that? been the president of Argentina, Javier Millet, going to Davos and addressing the World Economic Forum and telling those noblesse oblige addled, dirt munching, druid douchebags. Wow. What time it is. Damn it. Here was here was yeah. Here was his warning to the West, and of course that starts with America. So this is something we have lived through, and we are here to warn you about what can happen if the countries in the Western world that became rich through the model of freedom stay on this path of servitude. The case of Argentina is an empirical demonstration that no matter how rich you may be or how much you may have in terms of natural resources or how skilled your population may be or or educated or how many bars of gold you may have in the central bank. If measures are adopted that hinder the free function of markets, free competition, free price systems, if you uh, hinder trade, if you attack private property, the only possible fate is poverty. And uh, specifically, his message to sheepish business people unwilling to stand up to the state? Go find the your inner Hank Reardon. I would like to leave a message for all business people here and for those who are not here in person but are following from around the world. Do not be intimidated, intimidated either by the political caste or by parasites who live off the state. Do not surrender to a political class that only wants to stay in power and retain its privileges. You are social benefactors. You're heroes. You're the creators of the most extraordinary period of prosperity we've ever seen. Let no one tell you that your ambition is immoral. If you make money, it's because you offer a better product at a better price, thereby contributing to general well-being. Do not surrender to the advance of the state. The state is not the solution. The state is the problem itself. You are the true protagonists of this story. And rest assured that as from today, Argentina is your staunch, unconditional ally. Thank you very much, and long live freedom. Damn it. <laughs> the ending's the best, though. The translator Damn didn't it. quite get uh, the verb of Mele, but it's uh, not bad. <laughs> I hope that inspired Jim Urio uh, to find his inner Hank Reard. And Jim Urio, who's the host of the Future's Edge podcast, he's also one of those heroes that uh, Mele was talking about. He's a proprietor of Brandt's Restaurant in Palatine. Mm. Jim? Are you going to answer the call? Yeah. Well, I think I was kind of a pioneer on that, too. I have never been ashamed of my desire for more money 
and a better life than where I came from. And by the way, I didn't come from some slum anywhere. But, I, you know, I came from a very, very modest means, and I love employing people, making money, and this notion. And the fact that they let him go and speak at the World Economic Forum thing in Davos is amazing to me. I don't know how that slipped through the cracks or what they thought they were going to get from him. Mm. But uh, he is 100% correct. Socialism is the, is the uh, ideology of the bitter, the jealous. It's immoral. It's uh, it's the most ridiculous thing ever, and we know for certain now. There's no there's a, a mountain of history since the 1800s where capitalism was started to be implemented broadly across the world. How poverty went from 90 percent of the people on this planet living in poverty to nine percent in the matter of 150 years. If you want to act like that's not real and it's not due to capitalism, it's completely asinine. But to him, Malay is that how you pronounce the name? I love that guy. Every time I hear him speak, I mean, if I was his buddy, I'd probably tell him to get a haircut or clean it up a little bit because it looks I like a it. Oh, I love it. No, he, he, he looks like... He, he brought he looks the like, chainsaws to campaign events. Did you know that, Jim? It, it, I thought that was fantastic. His hair, he looks like a, like a pudgy Dudley Moore. And and that exactly. you know connotes Arthur and that's sort of fun and he is and when he comes and he won't bend the knee before the World Economic Forum Klaus and the boys and girls there I mean how how fun is that Yeah and it's fantastic you know you guys are right I'll, I will offer the hair I'd like to that's yeah from the record but this Davos thing you know the, these stations who have celebrated it for so long and at its core all it is is unelected billionaires who have realized that aligning themselves together can create more power and influence policy around the world, policy that we didn't ask for and we didn't vote them in. Um, th- to me, it's, it's always been a completely ridiculous thing. And you look at these these stations like CNBC who go there and all they do is, is lick the boots of all these people that are there like, oh, this is wonderful. No, it's not wonderful. It's not what we voted for. And everything swings the pendulum. And you, the three of us, I think, can feel the pendulum swinging back and I think that that's very exciting. I hate the fact that we had to get to this point, but I think it's pretty exciting. Well, another pendulum uh, may be swinging in a um, less productive direction. Uh, speaking of Davos, uh, Maria Bartiromo spoke to uh, Howard Lutnick, who's this, the uh, CEO of Cantor Fitzgerald. Uh, he said uh, he thinks there could be $700 billion to a trillion in uh, commercial defaults coming this a year and into next year, I think over. I th- he said, I think it's going to be very, very ugly. A very, very ugly market in owning real estate over the next eighteen months, two years. What say you? I, I think he was specifically talking about commercial real estate, right? Yes, right. I said that. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and yeah, and I, I think that that's where the big cracks are in the whole thing. That you, know, you go through the, the stats on some of these city centers where there used to be you know, flourishing, and now you see empty offices and you hear stories about them trying to get tenants back. It's not working. I think it's an enormous deal. But the, the, something that's odd is that I, this has been going on for a couple of years. I expected to see some huge stories about banks going under because they had too much exposure to commercial real estate, and it hasn't happened yet. So the way I believe this plays out, and I do agree with that, I think the cracks will start to form. And then we live in a bailout nation, so it's always – every time something gets even the slightest bit economically scary, the federal government tries to bail everything out, which, too, by the way, I think is one of the whole things with the, the migrants and the crime, but that's a whole different show. But once they start to bail people out, and they don't have the money to bail people out anymore. I'm, I'm giving a speech in Phoenix on, on Wednesday um, to a group of farmers, and we're going to talk about what the big risks are for 2024. The big risks are this. The national debt 
over the last 50 years has had five big slope changes and never retreated at all in that slope. And the last one that began in 2020 has gone parabolic. The, the market for our debt, and I don't want to get too wonky here, but we sell bonds to raise money to, to spend profligately as the government does. But any time they've gone outside of like uh, two-year bonds, the market doesn't want to lend us money as much anymore. And that's where a huge problem is because they're too stupid to realize that they've saturated the market with U.S. debt, particularly long end, and need to dial it back, and they won't do it. And they'll keep spending money and keep borrowing money, and that's when the bad things can happen. Bad things such as? So the bad things, like when we get our debt downgraded, it's kind of nonsense because we're always going to pay you back. U.S. Treasuries are always going to print money to pay you back. So when the debt gets downgraded, really what it means is they may pay you back in cheaper dollars. In other words, creating tons of money, flushing it into the system and paying you back with a deflated dollar, with you know a dollar that's not worth what it was before. And in that in that situation, I want to belong things like not obviously not commercial real estate. We start with that because there's no demand for that. But other sort of land, gold, silver, platinum things that you know things that do well in a weak dollar. Um, environment. And anyone who's listening says, well, the dollar's not weak. The dollar's strong. Look at the dollar index. The dollar index measures the, uh, measures the dollar against the euro and the yen, two other country, countries who are involved in the same sort of nonsense we are in creating additional money. Measure the dollar against a bag of groceries. Measure the dollar against an ounce of gold. That's how you get the dollar's value. Well, that's what uh, uh, the godfather, Rick Santelli, was saying last week, is look at February of 2020 to November of 2023. Um, it takes a dollar nineteen in twenty twenty three to buy what you paid a dollar for in February of twenty twenty, and so what you're saying is if that's the way things go, then you're not getting the uh, the average um, American family is not getting any relief from those inflationary price increases anytime soon. Not not just any relief, not any relief. It begins to get worse. Yeah, they're being sacrificed to the gods of this this whole entire thing. So part of the part of the speech next week too is just quotes like twenty different quotes of Fed governors saying how they want they need inflation. This was prior to twenty twenty. They needed it because the, everyone was so indebted, particularly the big five states of which we are standing in one of them right now, pacing in one of them actually. But of the big five states, um, they could not possibly pay their bills unless the government created something just south of massive inflation. Well, they overshot the market and created massive inflation. But this is this was the plan. You know how we know it was the plan? They told us it was the plan. This is not some crazy tinfoil hatch Muriel theory. They told us they needed inflation. They told us why, and they got it. So right now, the people who are in the lower column, 40%, you are being sacrificed so Illinois doesn't have to default and can pay its pensions. So I hope you're happy with what you voted for. And is is the market um, too optimistic in terms of expectations for rate cuts? And if the rate cuts uh, do not happen or do not happen at the level that is uh, priced in right now, then what is the what is your prognosis for market return in you know the end of the first quarter, beginning of the second, into the third? So today is an interesting day. If we can keep, because we just kind of made new highs today in the S&P, this is the pre-market. And if we can settle kind of settle above here, I think I can make a fundamental bullish case for the stock market. It's not about good things. It's about not just, we talked about when the Fed's going to ease. The market knows that the Fed will ease at some point in time. And they've been wrong on it quite a few times. But if we talk, if the Kenneth Fitzgerald CEO is correct, 
and there starts to be big cracks in the commercial real estate market, perhaps the Fed will ease. But at the end of the day, we talked about government debt and money creation over the last three years. There's still approximately, by my thumbnail calculations, about two and a half to three trillion dollars above trend of monetary growth that happened just because of the COVID strategy. And that's still out there sloshing around. It still ends up it has, you have to kind of predict where money is going to end up, and it ends up a lot of times in risk assets like stocks. So I'm yeah, not yeah. – I, I like other things better than stocks because I do think once the big bank headline comes across, stocks could have a quick 12%, 15% break. I like other things better. But on my list of weak dollar things to own, stocks are not necessarily off that list. And that's a bad thing because it's, it's been 20 years that you buy stocks because of low rates and a profligate spending government. That's the wrong reason to buy stocks. I'd want to be buying stocks because they're deregulating, creating a better business environment, but that's just not the case. Hey, Jim, we got a question from a, a listener real quick. Is a repeat of that 1989-90 commercial real estate crash coming? I'm the developer of buildings that I helped design that have gone under. Yeah, yeah I believe it is. I wish I could say something different, but I, I believe that the whole commercial real estate model, particularly in urban centers, at the trend it's going now, does not have a very bright future, I mean, in my opinion. Prudential just moved yeah. out. They're leaving the Randolph Street skyscraper after seven decades. That's uh, great well, news. You know what the most amazing thing is? Remember, you know Mark Benioff, the guy from Salesforce? Like, yeah. he's voted for the, these measures in San Francisco for the last you know, two decades that have increased crime in the city. And then last year, he has the gall to, on his conference call, say, yeah, we're thinking about moving out of San Francisco. There's just too much crime. You've got to be kidding me. You literally are the guy who pushed for these things for so many years. That guy, what an unbelievable hypocrite. Uh, it's, it's, it sounds like great news to me because it just frees up more space for migrants in urban centers, and that's what they want. So um, it's wonderful. Oh, yeah, put them in the Prudential building. Uh, Jim Urio, host of the Futures Edge podcast, proprietor of Brant's Restaurant in Palatine. Jim, thanks as always. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. You too, and he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So the uh, confab at the White House with House and Senate leadership on border, and of course, because Democrats were there, uh, funding for Ukraine, you know, the global uh, package that uh, Schumer and uh, House Democrats want. Funding for Ukraine, uh, perhaps some funding for Israel, perhaps some funding from Taiwan. We'll throw some money at the border and we'll call it a day. Well, concurrent to this, of course, uh, legislation that is uh, being bandied about or well, being drafted in the Senate with Schumer and Langford from all, uh, Oklahoma and being bandied about in the House, similar legislation with uh, Maria Gonzalez and a Democrat rep from Michigan. Uh, Senator J.D. Vance from Ohio was on Laura Ingram's show the other evening, and uh, he had this to say about uh, cash for the border in exchange for cash for Ukraine and other issues. 
we know what's going to be in this thing, and we know that it will lack two critical provisions. First of all, does nothing on parole, Laura. Barack Obama paroled 5,000 illegal aliens a year. Joe Biden is paroling close to a million per year. The proposal does nothing on parole. Second, it really does nothing on fixing the asylum process in our country. So you combine these two things, you're not actually addressing the border crisis. And importantly, and you saw Speaker Johnson address this, and I appreciate him for doing so, this is fundamentally about getting money for Ukraine. This is a border fig leaf so that we can send another $61 billion for Ukraine. And I just think it's such a catastrophic abdication of leadership for Republicans at the height of a significant border crisis, when the American people are with us on the need to secure the border, to pretend that we're securing the border with the one hand so we can well, give $61 billion to Zelensky with the other. It's, it's atrocious. It's- uh, for uh, more on this, we're pleased to be joined by Brett Baer, host of Fox News Special Report, weekdays 5 p.m., best-selling author of To Rescue the Constitution, George Washington and the Fragile American Experiment, as well as a graphic novel entitled The History Club, Duel Across Time. Brett, thanks for joining us, as always. Good morning. So um, the uh, J.D. Vance position, is, is that the dominant position in the House, I mean, excuse me, in the Senate, or does... Are there a lot of senators that want to sign up with uh, Langford to cut the deal that he was describing with Schumer? Uh, I think there's more Langford types. Uh, there are a few J.D. Vance uh, types. But, um, you know, there is a significant part of the Republican Party who thinks that the Ukraine effort is a good one. Uh, and I know that it's not the vocal voice on the right, but it is uh, a voice. And that is uh, not sending U.S. troops um, Yes, there's a lot of treasure that's going over there. There's got to be more accountability and transparency. But their argument is that um, that it is thwarting Russia. It is um, weakening Putin. It is uh, helping, you know, Ukraine push back. Uh, and there, you know, it's getting a, it's tougher to make that argument as you see what's happening on the ground. So I would say J.D. Vance. There are some some folks that that stand by him and what he just said. Uh, but there's still a, a pretty good chunk of Republicans that think the whole thing is important and and they want to get as much as they can with the border to get it all done. Well, I mean, the, the, the problem I think um, some have who are open minded on Ukraine is that, well, yeah, we, we can talk about that separately. But our first order priority is this. And I just want to focus on this border situation. And it's not about money. It's about policy changes. Thus, the House Republicans passage of H.R. 2. And so unless we get policy changes like remain in Mexico, which Speaker Johnson said could and Tom Homan has sort of echoed the the notion could uh, stop 70 percent of the flow. Unless we get that, then we have nothing else to talk about on anything. So I think it's just a sequencing um, uh, for some Republicans, too. It's not necessarily for uh, foreclosing the idea of providing additional support for Ukraine. But it, when you force the combination of the two and you essentially make them equally indispensable, it does lead one to be skeptical and sort of think along the lines of J.D. Vance that you're giving me this fig leaf in terms to, to get what you really want. Yeah, and I understand that argument. And it's it's. Um very prevalent about the sequencing and and there is a real concern about the border uh first and foremost and which is why there's a lot of pressure on speaker uh johnson in fact the former president uh essentially saying he shouldn't take the deal i i think he's in a weak position he doesn't have the votes uh mm-hmm. he just passed the cr 
with one extra Republican vote. It was 107-106. He lost 20 votes from the last continuing resolution vote. Um, he's in a very, very weak position. So, uh, you know, he could get rolled at any time. Uh, and it's going to take a lot of negotiation to get something uh, through at this point. We uh, mentioned um, uh, your we talked about your interview with Maria Gonzalez and Hillary Shulton in the House side, this bipartisan dignity act that they're touting um, and uh, which is, I, I think, similar to what Langford and Schumer, or at least what's been reported, Langford and Schumer are considering. Does that have any traction? The Gonzalez Shulton bipartisan effort in the House, does that have any real traction with uh, House Republicans? I mean, right now, there are more House Republicans who think that that's another form of amnesty. Um, they have to explain it better if it's if it's not. I mean, essentially what it is is it's not giving citizenship. It is giving uh, work visas and a, ability to work and and a, a basically a process. But um, I, I'm not sure that there are House Republicans that have signed on. There are 30 co-sponsors, so that means, what, 15 each? And uh, you've got a long way to go there in the House to make that happen. But um, the Senate side, I think they're going to come forward with something and they're going to have to negotiate. It's going to have to go to conference. This could take a while and they don't have a while. Um, they just don't. And so I don't think it's going to be this backroom deal that gets signed, you know, in the dark of night. I think that um, they're going to have to knock it out. And it's tough to see that the votes are there. All right, Brett Baer, we have four days until the New Hampshire primaries, and uh, registered Democrats and independents can vote and participate. So what does that mean for President Trump? Is that going to hurt him or help him? That'll hurt him. Um, That will help Nikki Haley. Uh, It will not affect uh, Governor DeSantis, who in all the polls lately is down in single digits. So basically you have, you know, uh, the former president getting close to 50 uh, right now, the average is, um, you know, roughly 48, 50 to 35, 36. Um, could she close the gap in that time? It's possible. You know, it is possible. But uh, the going bet is that the former president wins New Hampshire, wins South Carolina, and this thing's closed out before Super Tuesday. Uh, what do you uh, make of the reporting that uh, Trump's shortlist is J.D. Vance, Elise Stefanik, and Nikki Haley for VP? I don't think it's J.D. Vance. Uh, I do think that uh, Nikki Haley is sort of going down the uh, totem pole as far as Trump world acceptance. Um, I think Elise Stefanik is a name that I've heard. I've, um, you know, listen, I've heard Tim Scott. Mm -hmm. I've heard Ben Carson. I've heard uh, Joni Ernst from Iowa. I think there's there's a wish, a want uh, to try to get someone that appeals to independence, moderates that could affect his weakness. Uh, and you're going to see that weakness front and center in New Hampshire. He is Brett Bear. Of course, he is the host of Special Report, 5 p.m. Chicago time weekdays. He's the author of To Rescue the Constitution, George Washington and the Fragile American Experiment. That's a bestseller. Of course, Brett Bear wrote it. The History <laughs> Club, as well as the History Club, Duel Across Time, which is a graphic novel. Brett, thank you as always. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Have a good weekend. Thanks, you too. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Connect with Dan and Amy using the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Here's a counterintuitive pick for vice president. Who? Rather than picking a moderate, how about making, how about picking someone who makes Trump look like a moderate and a model of decorum at that? 
you talking about? Are you familiar with this guy, Sean Strickland, who's a UFC champion? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he, um, he is, if you think Trump is always on offense, uh, you haven't seen anything yet. But when have you ever seen? I'm glad to hear it. it's been great. Are you Canadian? Uh, of course I am. Are you part of the f***ing opposition? Are you... Uh, I don't know how to phrase that. You, I mean, you got like... Well, I did want to ask you... Did you vote for Trudeau? Uh, you know, I'm not going to say. And, and let me tell you something right now, but man says he's not going to say. Like, if you ask him, oh, did you vote for Biden? He's like, well, I'm not going to say. That's none of your business. He voted for f***ing Biden. Sean, so, I, hey. Sean, I'm glad you had great experiences. So this is Our, this is what I'm talking about, you guys. The enemy. The enemy of Canada. Sure, sure. All right. That's what it's got to be. It's got to be. Uh, we've got a pretty supportive gay and lesbian yeah. community in this city. I did want to ask you about something you wrote a couple of years ago. You said, if I had a gay son, I would think I'd... Oh, look, another... another I'm saying to you, the swamp, you guys. The swamp. You become a champion. You become a star. And, and someone said, let me ask you something. Are you, are you, are you gay? I had the chance no, to are, back with a more diverse. Are you, let me, are you gay? Can I hear, can I get an answer? Well, no, I'm asking, I'm, this is a part of, are you, are you a gay man? I'm an ally of the community. Okay. If you had a son and he was like, you know, yeah, son, he was gay. You'd be like, oh man, you don't, you don't want a grandkid. No problem with it. Oh man. Well, dude, you're a weak man, dude. You're like, you're part of the problem. You elected Justin Trudeau. Like, would you when he sees the bank accounts, like you're just pathetic, and and the fact that the fact that you have no backbone, and and has he shut down your country and seized bank accounts? You ask me some stupid like that, go yourself, move the on, man. How oh, you like that? Well, that's quite the press conference, dropping a lot of f bombs. Yeah, he uh, likes oh. to sprinkle those in. He uh, followed up uh, that performance with a. Uh, well, you know, one of those press conferences where they have the two fighters and they jaw back and forth and there's oh, an yeah, audience, yeah, yeah. you know, generate buzz for the fight, those the upcoming kind of fight. Actually, I like those. Yeah, uh, here's what uh, Sean Strickland had to say at that event. But when have you ever seen a UFC champion, George St. Pierre, or anybody else stick up for you f***ing guys? I f***ing do it. I do it. I am not chasing the Chinese check mark of Nike. I don't give a f- about that. I care about you guys. I care about you guys being free. I care about you guys having freedom of speech. I give a f- about you guys. And I'll tell you what, you guys are f- awesome and I cannot wait for this man to f- go to war for you f- guys. Let's go. Uh, champion of the people. <laughs> I love it. Of course, like, you know, um, people say he's a neo-Nazi, he's a white supremacist, all this and that. And then the funny yeah. part is, in his uh, in the Wikipedia page on him, what does it say? A Strickland is training partners and close friends with fellow UFC middleweight Chris Curtis. Chris Curtis is a black dude. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you know, you don't have to agree with everything Strickland says. Uh, well, obviously, but um, now, of course, here's the here's the reveal. What? Unfortunately, he cannot be Trump's running mate because he's only 32. Oh, wow. So sad. Wah, wah. Missed it by that much. <laughs> the more you listen, the more you listen, the more you'll know. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. Morning Answer. On AM 560, The Answer. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM 560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, the big guy was asked about uh, the uh, airstrikes in the direction of the Houthis, these uh, Iranian-backed 
terrorists. They're terrorists again. Oh, by the yes, uh, that's right. In Yemen. Yeah, so uh, there were a terrorist group. Then Biden removed the designation because, again, the philosophy is terrorists are just friends we haven't made yet, like it was during the Obama years, Joe Obama's first two terms when it was, you know, really you just need uh, jobs programs, summer jobs for members of ISIS and and that would, uh, you know, quell the ugliness in the Middle East and elsewhere. Remember when he called him the JV team? Oh. Uh, and so he was asked about uh, the effectiveness of those airstrikes. And um, here's what he said. Are the airstrikes in Yemen working? Well, when you say working, are they stopping the Houthis? No. Are they going to continue? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's a real leader right there, folks. We're going to continue the airstrikes until uh, the Houthis' morale improves. Uh, for a more on uh, the situation on the ground in the Middle East, as well as with the ongoing protests in the West, we continue to have these Hamas sympathizers, well, engaged in violence um, in D.C. Several were arrested protesting um, uh, Sloan Kettering in New York. A lot of ugliness. Well, I mean... I guess, what would you expect from people who are sympathizers of a terrorist organization? Uh, Alex Trayman joins us. He's the CEO and uh, Jerusalem Bureau Chief for JNS.org, Jewish News Syndicate, JNS.org. Alex, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, Dan and Amy. So um, the the Biden administration's uh, late recognition that the Houthis are, are not our friends um, what's your uh, handle on the, res- you know, that sort of the change in policy, change in designation, change in policy, and is what the administration doing sufficient to send a message to um, the lead state sponsor of terror the world over? That would be Iran. Well, it was announced that the designation wouldn't take effect for another 30 days from now, and that if the Houthis would stop uh, hijacking ships or sending ballistic missiles towards uh, commercial vessels in the Red Sea, that the designation could be removed. Uh, so I, I think it's, it, sends, uh, it sends a message about the lack of seriousness. Um, and the Houthis have announced that they are not uh, deterred, and they will continue their actions uh, in the Red Sea. So, you know, and, and meanwhile... The administration is not dealing with the source of all these terrorist organizations across the the Middle East, which include the Houthis and Hezbollah, Hamas, and that's Iran. And the um, the you know give, give us your best uh, description of where you see the campaign to eradicate Hamas being um, uh, that's being prosecuted by the Israelis. I think it's been an incredible campaign so far. We're just over 100 days. Um, most of the Gaza Strip has been punished significantly for, for what has happened on October 7th. Uh, Israel has already almost completed activities in the north. Uh, most of the residents of the Gaza Strip have been moved into the south. and It makes it more difficult for Israel to operate in the south as they try to locate the, the remaining members of Hamas's senior leadership and also uh, the more than 100 hostages that, that remain uh, captive inside the strip. But uh, they're moving with tremendous, tremendous efficiency, have killed up to 9,000 Hamas operatives, according to, to their reports, and have lost uh, only uh, less than 200 soldiers in the campaign so far. Well, what's the end game there? I know Saudi Arabia is trying to try, negotiate a, you know, a two-state solution, and Israel is saying no, which I understand too, but what's, what is the end game? 
Well, I think it's important to understand that prior to October 7th, uh, Israel had robust contacts uh, with Saudi Arabia and the Abraham Accords that Israel signed a few years back together with Bahrain and the United Arab Emirates would not have happened uh, without the implicit approval of Saudi Arabia. And I can tell you that before this war started, that the Saudis were not the least bit interested in whether or not the Palestinians would get a state uh, in return for normalization. And really, it was the Biden administration that had been, from the moment they stepped into office, trying to condition normalization between Saudi Arabia and Israel on uh, the establishment of a Palestinian state. I can tell you for certain that there is not one Israeli from right to left, not uh, an Oslo supporter uh, or, or an Oslo opposer that believes today that a Palestinian state could be the outcome of the worst massacre in, in Israeli history. Uh, you know, the, the whole concept was supposed to be land for peace, and the concept cannot switch all of a sudden after this massacre into land for war. Uh, has the uh, you know the communications I should say have seemed to um, at least the public ones have seemed to to uh, be tamped down uh, the communications of the sort we were hearing uh, at the height of some of these uh, protests in America that uh, you know from the Biden administration to you know we we've urged BB to be more careful with respect to. Uh, the campaign and to try to minimize civilian deaths. He could be doing a better job minimizing civilian deaths. You know, all the sort of statements made of that variety in his direction, in Israel's direction. Um, th- they have seemed to quiet down. Do I have that right? And, and if that is right, then why? What do, to what do you attribute that? I would attribute that to the IDF being more careful than any army in the history of modern warfare to try to reduce civilian casualties. You know, they sent uh, millions of leaflets and text messages and phone calls uh, warning civilians to get out of harm's way if the IDF had uh, had uh, identified a target. Uh, you know, the even if you go by Hamas's count, which they say uh, close to 25,000 people have been killed, uh, in in the attacks, you know, Israel saying that they've killed 9,000 uh, Hamas operatives. You, you're talking about a, a ratio of less than three to one, and that's when Hamas is operating uh, in civilian centers, in, in residential buildings, in schools, in mosques, and hospitals, and that the IDF is being fired on by, by people wearing civilian clothes. Uh, so I think that the, the United States understands that uh, Israel has gone beyond any level that it or any other military has ever gone to reduce the civilian casualties. And, and so any criticism to that effect at this point would just bring extraordinarily hollow, and it wouldn't do anything uh, towards trying to uh, push Netanyahu to, to, to do any other request that they had uh, if, if they would criticize uh, you know, what's, what's been an, an incredible campaign that, that no other army would ever hold itself to. Let's talk about the hostages. I know that there's more than 100, but there's nine of them are Americans. Do you think President Biden is committed to freeing or helping free those American hostages held in Gaza? Well, you know, they've already been held captive for 100 days already. And uh, I think that uh, you see you hear all these uh, requests that uh, the Biden administration has on Israel. You're not hearing too many demands on on Hamas or on the Qataris or anybody else uh, to get those hostages out. You'd think that the United States would have some significant amount of leverage, uh, but apparently they don't. You know, they're saying that they're working on it, but I think that every day that these uh, hostages remain in captivity is uh, reduces the likelihood of their safe return. 
I, I think uh, people are still uh, coming to grips with uh, the viciousness and ignorance that is on public display in big cities in particular. But um, the um, protest I mentioned uh, uh, when we started the conversation, I referenced, I mean, this is really, uh, seems to me, a new low. Um, these pro-Hamas protesters outside a Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York saying MSK, Memorial Sloan Kettering, MSK, shame on you. You support genocide, too. It's, it's a cancer center. Uh, make sure they hear you. They're in the windows. Like, who was supposed to hear that you? Cancer patients? Cancer doctors? Um, this is, I mean, the, you know, the depths of, uh, as I say, uh, barbarism, viciousness, ignorance, ugliness, whatever description you want to use. Um, you know, how, how do you react to that in terms of what it says about uh, some aspects of American culture and, and you know, our quasi-sociopolitical uh, culture? Well, this was actually the strategy of Hamas to begin with, right? So, you know, they attacked Israel on October 7th, and they knew that the IDF, which is one of the world's most technologically advanced and agile militaries, was going to attack inside the Gaza Strip. And they had no possibility whatsoever to defeat the IDF in a, in a battle, okay? And, and so when the IDF would go in and they would start killing uh, civilians because the, Hamas is fighting amongst civilians, what will happen is around the world that there would be uh, growing international pressure, and that takes the form of uh, world leaders that have proven themselves to be anti-Israel, you know, criticizing Israel. And what South Africa is doing in the International Court of Justice right now, accusing Israel of a, of a genocide, uh, and also that there would be these large rallies uh, in Western countries, including in the United States. But, you know, the Hamas has been working on the strategy for decades. Uh, this is a part of the strategy to uh, undermine the education of Americans at university campuses uh, to be uh, teaching uh, anti-Israel materials in all the Middle Eastern study centers, uh, and also to uh, it's part of this uh, it's part of this uh, DEI and uh, critical race theory, and part of this uh, just overall division of societies into into victim and oppressor, and to charge Israel as the oppressor and to charge the Palestinians as the victims uh, and, and allowing victims to do whatever they want, uh, even acting as brutally as Hamas did on October 7th. If they remain victim, it's all okay, according to uh, you know what's being taught in American universities, and people are falling for it. You know, by the way, that, that South Africa thing, bringing uh, uh, you know, a war crimes charge against Israel to The Hague, you know, pe people have laughed at that and said, oh, you know, South Africa, Fetterman was one, uh, South Africa, sit this one out. And and they're referencing South Africa in, uh, in terms of being a, an apartheid country, you know, sit this one out because of your history. Yeah, but, but that's not really the point. Oh, it shouldn't be the point. The point is South Africa, sit this one out because you're ruled by black communists who are also, I mean, some of the leadership there, we've played the clips, are calling for the massacre of white farmers in South Africa. Maybe that's why they should sit this one out. But it's black communists in charge of South Africa these days, not uh, not PJ Bolta and uh, the honkies from you know a bygone "I'm not going to play Sun City" era. Just to be clear on this, I mean, even Nelson Mandela was not pro-Israel. <laughs> to, to Correct, honest, uh, you know so. Uh, you know, so uh, they're accusing Israel of a genocide.
first of all, the Palestinian population continues to go up year after year after year. Okay, so I think that the committers of genocide, are, you know, in, in history, are looking down and laughing at the the preposterous notion that Israel could be committing a genocide. The whole genocide convention came into being after World War II, after the Nazis literally committed the genocide of six million Jews systematically in World War II to protect Jews against the type of attack that's been occurring uh, on October 7th, when you have uh, Iran creating a ring of fire around the state of Israel, calling for Israel to be wiped off the face of the earth and funding uh, terror organizations all around the state of Israel and developing nuclear weapons, which could effectively uh, commit a genocide. The whole point of the Genocide Convention is to protect the Jewish people in the state of Israel. And instead, uh, South Africa, which had its own uh, run-in with apartheid not too long ago, is now turning it on the Jewish people in the state of Israel. A classic projection. Uh, Alex Trayman, CEO and Jer- Jerusalem Bureau Chief for JNS.org, Jewish News Syndicate, JNS.org. Alex, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. The more you listen, the more you listen, the more you'll know. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. Morning Answer on AM 560. The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Sports and politics and sports and politics and sports and politics and intersection. Arrogance and ignorance, arrogance, ignorance and arrogance and ignorance. Intersection. Uh, Yeah, we start with some uh, news out of USA Boxing. I don't know if there's any uh, female boxers in the listening audience or uh, anybody listening who has a female boxer in their family. But um, effective January 1, USA Boxing allows men who identify as women to compete against women. I mean, are they trying to kill us now? Because that's what could happen. Carrie Williams is a former female boxer. Now uh, she has a line of uh, female boxing wear. I couldn't believe it. You know, I've seen it happening in other sports. In my mind, I thought they'll never do that in boxing because we hit each other in the face and the head and the body. Oh, you don't say. I was completely shocked and I was really upset. We've been fighting for a long time to get our seat at the table in Olympics. And this is amateur boxing. So USA Boxing is the body that basically all the amateurs go through that that organization to make it to the Olympics. So I was upset about it, and I felt I had to speak out about it. So there are certain testosterone, she goes on to explain, so there are ter- certain testosterone levels they must meet, and this is sort of the the uh, the weaselly way these uh, sporting authorities are getting out of, well, you know, we're leveling the playing field by requiring these levels, as opposed to, uh, so they can avoid the fundamental question. Um, but she goes on to say, so there are certain testosterone levels they must meet, which is kind of crazy because we have anti-doping. And so, you know, a hormone is a hormone, a replacement. It is what it is. But there's also they're 18 and older. But the thing is that they're not required to have gone through their transition before puberty. And that's a big problem because Miss um, Williams has a basic understanding of biology. And she goes on to say uh, this may be news for policymakers who don't maybe didn't go through puberty. Their P-hats were on too tight. I don't know. She uh, says, Carrie Williams, I mean, uh, boys and girls are different. Huh. Men and women were born differently? Really? You're talking about larger hearts, larger lungs, bone density, strength. You're talking about muscle fiber differences. 
those are all something we're born with, like genetically. We're not just talking about going through puberty, but once you go through puberty, I mean, that's just, it's just a whole other ball game. So with the rules, that's not required. I identify as this, and I'm a certain level of hormones, and I have to be at that level for so many years and maintain that and get tested. That's pretty much what the rule is. Um, she, uh, she, remember, she's a, was a professional female boxer. She's asked if um, she ever personally boxed against a man, and this is an interview she gave to uh, the Daily Signal Heritage Foundation's publication. Uh, Miss Williams, I have an experience. When I was 30, I was competing. I was sparring. We had a lot of teenage boys in our club. I was sparring with one of them. He was 16. He was going very light on me, which, you know, it's always kind of we don't want we don't talk about it, but we all know if you're going against a woman in the ring, you go light on them. It's an unspoken rule. So he was going light on me. He just threw in a body shot and it just hit me perfectly. He didn't mean to hit me hard, flicked it in there and gave me a hairline fracture of my rib. <gasps> I'm 30 years old. He's 17. He's cracking my rib. And so, yeah, I have had that experience. I understand firsthand what the difference is in that power. And again, that was a teenager. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. Um, but here's the question. I go back to Veronica Ivey, and I'm just going to keep playing this and playing this and playing this. And I hope you share it, because it's a simple question. Nikki Haley, who struggles with this question, and so many other politicians, both sides. Simple question. Veronica Ivey is a man pretending to be a woman who's... Um, I think was a cyclist, but now she's a big trans. He is a big trans advocate. And uh, this is the interview that he gave on The Daily Show, in which I'm complete agreement. This is the question as he posed it. This issue, people like to say that it's a complicated issue, and I don't actually think it is. I think it's very simple. It all boils down to, do you actually think that trans women and intersex women are real women and are really female Mm -hmm. or not? And if you do, it's very simple. Just stop policing who counts as a real woman. Exactly. That is the question. Call the question. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. It's like a hot, steaming cup of information to start your day. It's Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. We're pleased to now be joined by our friend Brian Kilme, co-anchor of Fox and Friends. Of course, you know this. Nationally syndicated radio host. He's the best-selling. He's a best-selling author generally, and he's got a new book. The book is entitled Teddy and Booker T, as in Washington, How Two American Icons Blazed a Path for Racial Equality. Brian Kilme, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Uh, Dan, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And I just uh, we're back on the New York Times list. We're up to 12 now. So Good for you. With Britney Spears, never easy. Yeah, no, that is that, that's stiff competition. Uh, and not to mention, you got Brett Bear. I mean, you can be you got competition in house too. You know, he's always right. writing something. Um, he's always jealous of me, so they really <laughs> must burn him that I'm ahead of him. Yeah. Um, so, all right. So, tell us uh, why the relationship between uh, T.R. and Booker T. was so interesting to you. Well, number one, I mean, uh, in the beginning when I was doing these books, history books, and this might stiff, I just thought, I hope that people love the news uh, like history. And I was hoping, I saw Bill O'Reilly have all the success, but then I realized it's like a war on history. They're ripping down statues, trying to destroy our past. And I just thought if I could tell the story, uh, all fact-based, no spin, and just be able to say, 
uh, tell the story through Americans that are well-known. And in this case, their partnership, like the Abraham Lincoln-Frederick Douglass partnership, the people would understand how much people sacrificed to make us the country we're in. And when Teddy Roosevelt, born rich, uh, how do I relate it to a, another man born a slave and how they came together and how they're alike? And with Teddy Roosevelt, his hurdles were physical. He almost died. He had bad asthma. He had intestinal problems, couldn't even go to school. And he knows what the struggle was to fight for your life. And for Booker T. Washington, he, he wrote the book up from slavery. And if you read it and you see what he overcame, he became one of the most respected people, not only in our country, in the world. And his legacy wasn't one of wealth, but of spreading education. He thought education was very equalized. And then he looked at Teddy Roosevelt and the power he acquired and the hero status in which he earned. He said, why don't, you know, why don't we become partners? And for a black and white man to become partners when you're born you know, just at the end of the Civil War and you have the turn of the century, I thought if I could tell that story in a compelling way that, uh, that people would be smarter for it and have more appreciation for our country. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, you mentioned um, Booker T. Washington's emphasis on education, and uh, we've talked on the show before about the unique relationship that Booker T. Washington had with Julius Rosenwald, former uh, CEO of Sears Roebuck, and those two working together to set up Rose, you know, Rosenwald schools. They were called some 3,000 in um, the segregated South to uh, extend the opportunity to be educated to blacks that were denied that opportunity uh, largely up until then. And so, um, it, you know, so, so now full TR into that, that education piece. Yeah. So, so what uh, Teddy Roosevelt wanted to show and what Booker T. Washington wanted to show is, yeah, you might grow up and you might be told by your parents that blacks and whites aren't equal, that whites are smarter and uh, more productive. And Booker T. Washington knew the truth. That it was just a matter of education. So he proved it. He gets a chance to get his own education. Those travails to do that are unbelievably inspirational. But then when he has a chance to start his own school and graduating 1,000, 1,200 African-Americans at a time, and they become extraordinarily productive in the workforce. And not only do they, are they smart and intelligent, but they all have a trade. And when Teddy Roosevelt's able to witness this and see how the transformation is taking place right in the heart of the segregated South, uh, he realizes what Julius Rosenwald realizes. This, we have a chance to transform America for the positive and finish off what the Civil War was in the process of doing before it was undone by the 1877 Compromise. And when people were able to pick up their heads and look around and say, there is no difference, it's just opportunity and education, then people's minds began to change, generations began to transform. And all Booker T. Washington wanted to do was spread more schools. He said, you go to, you go to Tuskegee for free, but you've got to be a teacher for three years. And I want you to spread it out to grammar schools and others and to underserved communities that were just one generation from slavery. And he was little by little. They said, too, don't just learn the books. You've got to have a skill, cheap metal workers, construction. You're going to be agriculture, whatever it is. But you've got to be, you've got to be uh, uh, multifaceted. Because at the time, people are looking to hire uh, African-Americans one generation off slavery. You have to be so valuable, they can, you've got to be indispensable. And he also saw the white culture in the South couldn't do anything because the slaves were doing all the skill and all the labor, building houses, repair, roofs, and all these things. So that's what Ron DeSantis was referring to. When slavery ended, there was nothing good about it. But bottom line is African-Americans walked off with trade. They walked off with skills and trades and abilities, but there was nothing good about slavery. But it was just a fact, and that's why Ron DeSantis, I don't think, took the time to explain himself when he did it. But when Teddy Roosevelt saw it, he became a member of Tuskegee's board, spoke at his funeral, 
uh, spoke at the commencement, and they just began to use the power of Washington to spread the wealth, literally spread the wealth around. And then Andrew Carnegie, as you mentioned, Rosenwald, J.P. Morgan, they all said, hey, I've, I've had great success. How do I help America? And so, I think we need to hear that story. Yeah, so Brian Kilmeade, hi, it's Amy. How are you? Um, so who reached out to who? Because I know in 1901, Theodore Roosevelt invited him to be a guest of honor to have dinner at the White House, which was a yeah. big deal back then. Great question. 1901, April. Uh, he read up from slavery. I read up from slavery, too. Um, that's the only thing I have in common with Teddy Roosevelt. I'm not putting myself on that platform. <laughs> he his wife, and, and, and she said, uh, Ian said, you got to meet this guy. So we wrote a letter to Booker T. Washington. Says, you know, I'm in awe of what you've done. Can we meet? And they met in New York in April of 1901, and they meet, and they say, how can we help each other? He's like, I'm vice president now, uh, and I'm not doing much, but I one day I hope to be president. And he said, why don't you come visit? Well, McKinley gets shot a short time after he dies, but a short time after that, and he ascends to the presidency, and he makes Booker T. Washington an unpaid advisor for the next seven and a half years. And uh, the, the, culmin- the beginning of it was being invited to the White House, and it became a big scandal in the South because they don't want, at that point, it's embarrassing even to say, uh, they didn't want a black man eating with the white family in the White House. And they thought it was, uh, it was too much for uh, a lot of America to understand at that time. And for those guys, they just said, okay, this is the America win right now. We've got to transform it, but we're going to be practical about it. We're going, to make, we're going to keep this partnership up. We're going to keep it under the wire. And if you're going to come over, it's probably going to be a little bit before. We're not going to do the whole meal thing anymore. Uh, even though he had African-Americans over in the governor's mansion in New York all the time, and he would say, guys, just spend the night. It's too far a drive. And if you've been to upstate New York, you know what I'm talking about. It's also peri- uh, treacherous at that time. So, yeah, you don't want to be driving in the dark. Stay here. Uh, so, I mean, that's that's pretty much what everyone talks about, what John McCain referred to. And I'm, I'm on stage in Joliet, uh, Illinois, on Sunday at, at 2 o'clock local, 3 o'clock Eastern. And I'll be talking about all these books in a fun, um, immersive way talking about uh, all the books and how we moved through time and the great men and women that brought us there. So um, that, so when they got a chance to meet, they just wanted to work together. And, and you just see the, that, that, uh, that friendship takes shape. Well, it's a, it's a great topic, great yeah, relationship sure. to explore. I, I really like this. So Brian Kilmeade uh, is going to be in Joliet, as he mentioned, at the Rialto Square Theater on Sunday, 2 p.m., rialtosquare.com for tickets. Uh, that's again Sunday at 2 p.m. Brian Kilmeade, co-anchor, Fox and Friends, nationally syndicated radio host, best-selling author. His new book, Teddy and Booker T, How Two American Icons Blazed the Path for Racial Equality. Brian, thanks for joining us. Good luck with the book. Hey, thanks. And everybody who comes gets a book. And it's going to be streamed on Fox Nation. You get six free months. Uh, we have a QR code we put on the screen. Everyone holds up their camera, and they get it. Uh, so. All right. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Good luck with the book and have fun at that event. Again, at RialtoSquare.com uh, this Sunday at 2 p.m. Uh, be there. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. It's like a hot, steaming cup of information to start your day. It's Chicago's morning answer on AM 560. The answer. Open mic. Open mic Friday. Call it now. Dan and Amy, yes, it's that time of the week. Open Mic Friday. Take in your calls, 312-642-5600, turnkey.proanceline, with comments, concerns, compliments, criticisms, general crack pottery. 
We'll take it all. Uh, Open Mic Friday sponsored by Turnkey.pro. And, of course, we kick off Open Mic Friday by peeling back the layers of David Kolsak's fertile mind. Oh, I like that. <laughs> wow. One and only. Good morning, Dan and Amy. Yeah. Hello, hello, friend. Well, it's been really cold. I, I have to tell tell you that I've been thinking a lot about people who drive electric cars uh, this last week. You know, in full disclosure, I was an early adopter of the Tesla Model S in um, 2012. So uh, I, I bought my first Tesla then, and I didn't see that many around then. And when I drove it, it was like... I was super impressed with its power and specifically the torque. Like you could go from zero to 75 in seconds and you felt like you were back in the good old days. Remember Great America, the tidal wave ride? Remember that oh, ride? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where you just from zero to 60 or whatever, it was like instant. And that's how it was, um, you know, in a Tesla. And at that time, that car was really expensive, but it was fast and it was sexy. And not to mention it was a lot cheaper than having a girlfriend, right? So, um, uh, so. <laughs> Never in my deliberations about owning a Tesla did I ever once think that I was saving the world by driving an electric car um, like today. You know, nor was I thinking I was going to save money because I didn't have to go to the gas station. It wasn't hard for me to really understand that electric vehicles get charged by mostly coal-powered power plants, and the ultimate cost of ownership would be you know, not very much lower due to it being electric. I had no illusions in 2012, and I have no illusions today so it's not like if you ran out of juice in your tesla you could walk to the charging station and get a bucket of electricity to get moving um range anxiety is a real thing when you have a, an electric car and when it was really cold or really hot the battery would would denigrate uh would you know deep would discharge and you would get way less range and so i'm not sure that people understand what it's like until they've got 17 percent batteries on their tesla or their electric car and there's nowhere to charge you know for miles so over a short period of time, in my in my experience, the battery started to lose range no matter what the temperature. You know, when I first bought the car, it was 240 miles range, and then it was less than 150 range really? in just a few years. So if your mission is like 50 miles back and forth to work, the car is great and perfect for you. Uh, but if it's more than that, if you're a traveling salesman or somebody, you, you can't use an electric car efficiently. So now over the past week or so, we've seen so many stories of Tesla owners who got stranded or nearly stranded due to the frigid temperatures. You know, the local charging stations became parking lots and practically all the cars, you know, uh, the, the practicality of all these cars became pretty apparent. You simply can't charge a frozen battery. So um, can you even imagine what the world would be like if everyone had electric cars? Um, and, and going back to a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Leave the World Behind, that movie. There's this dystopian reminder of artificial intelligence and these cars where there's a scene where a fleet of white Tesla sedans drive themselves into like a, a major traffic snafu. It was a terrifying scene, but it seemed, you know, pretty real and, and realistic. So when I think of the kind of range anxiety that I lived with when I had a Tesla, I just can't fathom an entire city thinking smart cities here where everyone is anxious and one single car on the freeway could jam up everything for hours or even days. So now I see in a couple of days ago, Hertz Rent-A-Car is selling 20,000 of their cars, their, their Teslas or about one-third of its fleet to replace them with gas-powered vehicles. Um, It turns out electric cars are more expensive to repair after a collision. Actually, I think it's about two times the cost, and they have a lower residual value than traditional gas guzzlers. So the decision by Hertz to purchase Teslas a few years ago, they said they were going to purchase 60,000. It it vaulted both stocks uh, in the right direction. Uh, But in the end, the financial damage to the bottom line, Hertz said, you know what, I can't do these electric cars because – you know, it's, it's just not good for business. So if you're looking for a used Tesla, you might be a good time to call Hertz right now. But on top of that, 
along the way, I found out that the mines that they have for the cobalt and lithium are filled with, you know, children in third world yep. countries mostly. And it takes about 500,000 pounds of each one of these minerals or one of them anyway, to make a battery for one of these cars. And have you ever seen pictures of one of those mines? It's like a deep giant chasm in the ground and talk about an environmental mess. Where are the, you know, where are the tree huggers there? And, and not to mention the high human cost of mining in these, you know, for these essential minerals. So anyway, uh, to me, it seems crazy to think that even for a second that electric vehicles save the environment. In fact, the whole green movement makes me a little nuts. Um, what do we do with the batteries in the electric car when they no longer charge? Where do they go? You know, these used-up batteries become toxic waste. I'm not sure what they're doing with them. What, what do we do with solar panels that are broken and used up? Where do those get recycled or disposed of? How much electricity is really generated by all those ugly wind turbines you see on the side that clutter the countryside? How much do those like actually cost? Is it a million dollars per turbine? And how many years does it take till they generate enough electricity to pay themselves off and start making financial sense? And by the way, how many petroleum products are used to per to make the wind turbines and required to keep those turbines lubricated and functioning? So it all seems like a big scam to me anyway, where the manufacturers of these solar panels, turbines, and electric vehicles are all subsidized by the government in order to make them viable. To me, that sounds more like taking a handout rather than being viable as a business venture. But for sure, Teslas and other sexy SUVs are really cool, and they have a place for some. But when you look at the real cost of the environment and the mining process and the production of electricity to run them, not to mention the real cost to power them, own them, maintain them, and repair them, the value proposition kind of loses its vigor. So when you put all this together, it's hard to understand the global movement towards the electric vehicle, unless that is, it's about keeping people near their homes. Again, think 15-minute cities with the ability to track the people, limit their speeds, and actually power the, the cars off. Uh, I'd say people need to think twice about the practicality of these products and yield away yet one of our other God-given rights to be free and move around as we want. So, you know, but perhaps this is all about control, or as G Gordon Gecko famously said in Wall Street, maybe it's about greed. Greed is good, but it's really not. So. Uh, so how my Tesla story ends is I grew tired of seeing so many Teslas polluting the road and the high price of ownership combined with the range anxiety. So I got rid of mine uh, after having three different models. Uh, and and once I was enlightened, all these things, I bought an F-150 King Cab. That's right. And I started liking country music. And uh, and I, I love the fact that I can fill my tank and go 500 miles with zero anxiety. And it's a lot more comfortable for everyone involved, even the people in the backseat. So next time you see a stranded Tesla owner, be sure to try to help, of course. But don't fool yourself into thinking that they're saving the environment. They're not. They just have a really cool car, limited range, and are hurting the environment more than they're helping it. And by the way, climate change and global warming are lies. So there's that. Okay. Have a great weekend. Thanks, All right. David. Thank you, David. Um, I think we transition to your story about uh, the transvestite CEO <laughs> of United Airlines because uh, – You've teased it enough times. I think people want to hear it. All right. So I haven't on. personally met Scott Kirby, but uh, during the pandemic, you know how I was a COVID freak and what saved my life was going to Utah to see, because not everybody was like Illinois. You know, you going to Florida, you realize that this is not, you know, this is not the way life works. So we bought land in Utah near St. George and the woman who sold it to us was Scott Kirby's mom. And, really? Yeah. And so right at the pandemic, uh, when the pandemic hit and everything shut down, remember March of 2020 or February, whatever, uh, land was cheap and homes were, you know, because people were scared. They didn't know what to do. So people panicked and just sold it for whatever. We got it for a song and a prayer. OK. And it's a beautiful piece of land. It's a beautiful view. 
And um, she let us know that, you know, Scott Kirby's, you know, my son's now becoming the CEO of United Airlines. So I'm going to move back, take care of the grandchildren, back to Chicago. Oh, interesting. Which is weird because we are from Chicago. Helping pick out dresses. Yeah, right, well, sure. <laughs> well, um, then I don't know if it was I, late night emails a little later on, a few months later, saying, you got that land so cheap and you should pay me more and you. I took a bath on that land. After, Pretty much was, shop- after you bought it, after the deal was done? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like <laughs> Negotiating after the sale? Yeah, it's not going to happen. Uh, okay. Lady, you can write as many emails as you want with grammatical errors in the middle of the night, whatever no, that means. Um, not going to change. I'm not going to give you money just because you made a poor business decision. You got to live with the decision you made. So I don't know if she felt entitled, whatever, but uh, that's my Scott Kirby story. Hmm. Maybe that was the like a traumatic event for the family, and that's what drove Scott Kirby to his uh, pension, to, you know, for being a transvestite. Oh, please! Yeah. But it's so funny too because United used to have a direct flight from Chicago to St. George, and now they don't anymore because she doesn't live there anymore. Oh, really? That's yeah, isn't that uh, ironic? I, I mean, mean, it is. I'm sure, it's just timing, right? Or maybe it was a pandemic. Sure. Mm-hmm. I would think that they would have a direct flight just because of the growth out that way. I oh, would it's think the fastest- that. Yeah, it's the fastest growing county in America, hmm. and they don't have that flight anymore. Hmm, I wonder why. Hmm. Maybe if you uh, opened up a baton club in St. George, <laughs> Scott Kirby would uh, <laughs> resuscitate that route. I mean, did you you saw? Did you see the whole dance that he did? And then there was men behind him dressed as women too. It's is that what the rich Scott people Kirby do? Dancers. What yeah. <laughs> the Kirbettes, the Kirbyettes. I mean, is that what rich people do? They're that bored that they, I mean, doesn't he have a company to run? And I don't trust him now that I've been watching his behavior online. He's not a serious person. Well, it's going to get to the point uh, here pretty soon uh, with respect to these die adult airlines. Southwest was promoting their die. Here's our crew and this and All that. Female crew. A lot of, who cares? Uh, you know, it's going to the, gonna get to the point, especially United with Kirby, like um, and and with the uh, DEI B. Um, a dude pretending to be a woman at United Airlines who heads up the DEIB committee. Got to add the, the belonging. B. Belonging, right. Tell people that maybe didn't hear that. Before. Yeah, belonging. <laughs> You're in I, charge of that here at Salem, right? I, if I find, if I, um, yeah, we should have, in, in, in fact, we should have like a DEIB summit rather than a freedom <laughs> summit or equity summit, something like that. Maybe as a kickoff, as the pregame to the freedom summit. Yeah. Um, but I, I won't dress and drag. That's the only thing. Oh, darn it. Maybe we but get it, Sean to do a dress and drag. Well, sure. That's just a weekend for Sean. But, <laughs> but, uh, the, it is going to get to the point, I, I think, in the not too distant future where I get on a, a commercial flight and I'm going to say like, I, um, I want to, I want to meet the pilots. Oh yeah. No, I, oh, yep. Yeah, uh, let me. Uh, can I take a little peek? See there, a little look. See in there in the cockpit, yeah, and just see what's going on. Please? Can you have a Give Sky King come ball? out and introduce himself? Yeah. Mm. All right, mm. all right. Let's take some calls. Uh, it is open mic Friday after all. Kevin in Austin, Texas. Hey, uh, Dan, Amy. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. I wanted to respond to the the Catholic uh, Church response to the two schools that were closed because there wasn't enough. Nobody stood up to try to save that scholarship program. I look at the U.S. Uh, United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, the USCCB, and they have like a list of do's and don'ts for parishes and what they can do politically. 
it's absolutely unbelievable because they're they're afraid. One of the things is conduct voter registration slanted towards one party. A lot of them. So they really restrict. Uh, and I think they're doing it themselves because they're afraid that they're going to lose their 401c3 status. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's, it is a lie. A, I it's agree. A, it's a, it's a false. It's I'm a false fear. It's and it's I, and I don't even think it's a, an actual fear. It's just a absolutely. cover story. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, but it's on the USCCB's uh, website. No, I'm not surprised. No, I know. Yeah, sure. And so, so my point, my point is that people have to get politically active. And I was, you know, listening earlier. Kim came on, talked about, you know, she's getting involved politically. I don't think your listeners understand how to get involved politically. And I want to, I want to un- understand your position as far as people getting involved in the precinct uh, level. There's a big movement out there for to become precinct chairs to take over Republican parties. There are so many uh, precinct chairs that are empty, especially in DuPage County. You know, would it be for people to spend three, five hours a month to figure out how that process works? I mean, are you asking me a question? Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm answering you to talk. Yes. Is is it worthwhile (sighs) to put three, four hours to get involved on, on a precinct level, becoming a precinct chair? I mean, precinct captains, it's not just you know, handing out literature, walking. I mean, although that's important. And another question, kind of an aside or a follow-up to that, after you answer that, is, is there anybody willing to put some money to build a GOP or a a get-out-the-vote operation uh, to prepare for this? Because just going and, you know, the the conservatives aren't organized enough to go and and march on the the mansion um, downtown. So, you know, how do people get involved on precinct level and the importance of that to, to, for for party politics to grow an army to get out the vote in uh, in, in November and other elections? Thanks for the call, Kevin. I mean, all that other precinct captains, precinct committeemen out there listening. I mean, they, you can call in and and opine on this. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I yeah, I mean, I'm certainly a supportive of being active through the Republican, the established Republican Party structures, to the extent that they are, there are structures in DuPage County or elsewhere throughout the state, under the leadership of people um, who call themselves Republicans in most of these posts, whether it's statewide or local. Hard sell. Hard sell for me. And uh, to finance them, what am I financing? What is it they're doing? You know, I mean, the sales pitch comes from the organization to prospective volunteers and prospective donors. It doesn't come from, you know, people waiting uh, to, um, you know, people like coming and saying, you know, here's what I'm going to do for you as a volunteer. I mean, it's just like. Yeah, you're you're right to a sense people don't know how to do it because they don't see an activity, so they don't see an intersection point. You know, you have to have a point to your organization. You have to have a brand so people understand what the point is, even if they don't know the specifics. The Illinois Republican Party doesn't have any of those things. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't say anything. And I'm supposed to give that party money to do what? Nothing? 
Mike in the loop here on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hi, guys. Uh, love you. Love your show. Love your politics. Uh, so I, I was sitting in my Tesla uh, charging it with no problem uh, and listening to that uh, BP and uh, Shell representative call and diss uh, Teslas. You know, it, it's listen, I before I bought mine, I, I had that range anxiety, too. I was like, you know, uh, but the thing is, is you, you don't have a gas station at your house. So if you own your own home or have a way to charge your Tesla at home, every day you wake up, you got a full tank of gas. It costs you $12 to, quote, unquote, fill your tank, as opposed to I have a uh, FJ Cruiser as well, which is only takes premium, so it's like 90 bucks, And they get very similar range. Do the electric cars have a less range? Yes. But when I saw all of these stories, and this is my opinion, I think there's all these hit stories on Tesla's because Elon bought uh, X, you know, Twitter, and they're looking any way to tear him down because, God forbid, you you know, get to say what you think, is I was thinking, well, you know, it's like the people who, you know, E doesn't mean enough on your gas on your gas tank, right? Anticipate before you go to the gas station. And if you may, if the viewers may not know, it tells you if how many chargers are available at the charger uh, before you go. So what gas station does that? So, And I've traveled many times from Chicago to St. Louis, uh, uh, Louisville, Indianapolis. You know, nothing crazy, but I've never, ever, 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 ever had any issue charging it. And I depend, me personally, just because of, of my situation, I depend 100% on superchargers. So, you know, when I see all this and then the guy like, oh, the baby's in the mine and the coal boss. Yeah, as you have your two phones probably. So, And, and they charge it with coal. You know, well, yeah, because Illinois removed all of the, the nuclear power plants. It's not 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 our fault that the you know the, the idiots that run the state you know are short sighted. I mean, go nuclear, and then then you ha- you don't have any of those emissions. So, like, wait, I wait, said, wait, I, wait a minute. You didn't have any problems charging it when your car when it was minus twenty out? Well, because he's got a charger in his and garage. I know, but no, I do not. I do not. I I am just. I do not. I depend 100% on the supercharger network. I cannot charge at my house because I live in a condo, and, and I have no way to charge the car. Oh, okay. So, so Yeah, but how oh, are all okay, these people you... wrong? I mean, listen, just listen. This is 30 seconds. I had to charge, like, multiple times every day the last couple days. I had to, like, wait for, like, 45 minutes for a charger, and then I pull in. It doesn't work, and then I pull out, and then someone else takes the next charger, and then I had to wait again. So it's... It's been more frustrating. I was at 50% when I got here. Usually from 50 to like 80, 90% take like 10, 15 minutes. It's taking an hour and 20 minutes. It's just frozen, and so I'm now getting it. There's people that they had to take their cars back to the dealership. Yeah, by the way, um, I mean, the gas station, um, I mean, Mike, I mean, the the gas station comparison, there's no waiting around at gas stations, number one. Number two, they don't run out of gas. So uh, well, the, the gas station. What do you mean? Uh, yeah, well, they don't run out of electricity either. Listen, I. I, well, I, I, I that, well, the people, the people staying at that uh, Tesla lot in Oakbrook would disagree with you. One guy was there for twenty hours. Well, Mike. Everyone goes to the same gas station, then they don't have room. It's not, you know, it's like anything. Okay. You know, you can't take stupid as some of the people. But like I said, I can be put on hold. You guys can come with me at any time and see the. And I have an app that tracks all this. So. I'm calling in. I'm not listen. I got no skin yeah, okay. in the game. Yeah, when okay. you, but when you hear, but when you hear this stuff, it's just sometimes stupid people get stupid results. And and, and only you know. And not only the, the the can you use the Tesla network to charge. You can go to the Electrify America and all these other ones 
that, that are out there. Do they work as good as Tesla? No, that's why it's going to that national standard. So, you know, yeah, well, there's, there's, I, I, there's, 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 there's a lot of issues. There's a lot of issues here. I mean, starting with the subsidies uh, that are given for both yeah. the charger as well as the car that um, that, of course, are not featured. I never, with I never got anything and I applied for it. I get it. Thanks for the call, Mike. I, I got it. There are a lot of issues here. But, um, you know, the government has put its finger on the scale on behalf of these EVs. That's a problem. And uh, we mentioned in the discussion earlier in the week this Ross Pomeroy piece uh, based on the work of some eggheads in terms of trying to assess whether uh, EVs are cheaper to own in the long term. And generally speaking, particularly if you didn't have a charger in your house, the answer was no, or certainly they're not. They they don't reach uh, cost uh, parity until it's time to get a new car. So, um, you know, I, I think the point about like you're not saving the planet with the Tesla, I think that's a fair one. I think a lot of Tesla owners are not suggesting they're saving the planet. They just like the car, whatever reason, or they like the technology. That's fine. Just don't make me pay for something that you like. So, and again, that's not the fault of the Tesla owner. It's the fault of the politicians. It always comes back to terrible public policy made by uh, short sighted. Uh, mostly fundamentally flawed people. I, I got it. I got it. But, I mean, there's also this reality we saw in the cold, and there's the stories that have been, well, that are legion um, about um, problems with EVs. It's, an early, it's still early stages. It's still evolving. Not opposed to it. Competition, thousand flowers bloom, all that. But let's understand what it is and what it isn't. And... Um, and particularly, as I said, how the government is putting its finger on the scale for Elon Musk in a way that they're not for other companies. Also, to the extent they are, because other companies are uh, becoming subsidy whores the same way Musk is, well, that's distortive of markets, isn't it? It's, centri- it's, it's industrial policy. And that's not something people who truly believe in free enterprise support. Okay. Uh, Bob in Naperville, you're in Chicago's morning answer. Good morning, uh, Amy and Dan. Long time listener. Go back to your Bruce, Bruce Wolf days, Dan. Oh, boy. Thanks to you, I oh. met Art Laffer at the Union League Club. And uh, thanks to oh, you, yeah. you introduced me to uh, um, Thomas Sowell about 10 years ago. Um, and you were also a day ahead of the Wall Street Journal on the uh, Javier Mealy speech. So I give you credit uh, for beating the Wall Street Journal op-ed page to that. But why I called in. You know, I think you settled on give me that for all these uh, uh, stores that will be opening soon. I play fetch with my dog a lot, and I always say give me that. So now every time I'm playing fetch with my dog, you know, I'm thinking of, you know, depressed people meandering around stores with empty shelves. So thanks to you. But have you ever heard of the song from the 70s, Give Me That Thing? Yeah, yeah, we've had yep, it sung to yep. us. Oh, um, that's right. Yeah. We were serenaded. Yeah. Okay, well, I, I yeah. listen a lot. I've never heard it, so I didn't think I'd be the first, but I thought there was a chance. So maybe you could play that from time to time. Oh, and the last thing, I've changed my dog's name to Gulag. Uh, so anyway. Gulag. What? <laughs> Gulag. <laughs> Thanks for preparing for the uh, the dystopian to come, even though it's largely here. Um, yeah, no, maybe that's a, it's a good idea. I'm glad you mentioned that about the dog and playing catch with your dog or fetch with your dog. Maybe um, part of the the swag that will develop for the Gimme Dat enterprise will include like dog toys, like branded dog toys, and uh-huh. yeah, 
I mean, you got it. It's merchandising. Everything's merchandising. Jim and Lyle. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Amy. You know, I was thinking about the guy who called in to ask your opinion about the precinct level activity and how to get involved and should we donate. Screw that. What is this, 1958? What he, what, what really he should have been told was get him become a freelancer. Do it on your own, like the group that filed the statement uh, of candidacy petition against Biden here in Illinois. I mean, we're, that's what we need to be thinking. Not, not giving money to. Uh, losing proposition. Look at Jeannie I. She started breakthrough ideas. You, you can't. It doesn't work. I live in Lyle Township. I, I walk those doors. I've had people slam the door in my face and say "f off." And these are supposedly Republicans. Well, supposedly, <laughs> supposedly, I uh, used to be is or they uh, the you know. Um, <laughs> What's that? Uh, what's that movie? Uh, Annie doesn't live here anymore. What was it? Right. What is it? It's like it's it's like that. Yeah, the Republican you're looking for doesn't live here anymore. Uh, thanks for the call, Chip. Yeah, I mean, I agree with sort of like the platoons of democracy and different models and being more nimble. And these organizations become often become well, they're beholden to the elected officials. I mean, the the elected officials are the organizations. I was going. I mean, this is a decade. This is like well, more than that. Almost 15 years ago, when I'm running for governor, and other candidates will tell you too. You go to these organization meetings, yeah, and every and everybody in the room gets recognized. Oh, we want to recognize all the elected officials. Everybody freaking stands up. So I mean, it's all like to keep the people who are in township office or municipal office or state legislative office, your county board members. Um, you know, it's just about you know, like oh, just work for these guys because they're in office and let's keep them in office, and that that's fine to some extent. But it can't. That can't be the sum total of it. It's just a vanity project for people in office who are who've got a you know a side gig. For most of them, it's a side gig. I mean, it just becomes so, um, you know, solipsistic in its in in its culture, and it just doesn't it doesn't work. But but I mean that's a, that's a failure of leadership at, at every level too. I mean, there's no sort of executive leadership. There's no political courage. There's no policy vision. So, I mean, you're right. So so I'm going to volunteer for an organization that fits that description. I'm going to give money to an organization that fits that description. You know, get behind a particular candidate or a particular initiative. And um, probably uh, uh, you know, generate more benefits from it if you want to be involved in politics as sort of an avocation, uh, you know, in the, the time you have to devote to something like that. I think that's probably a better play. Well, I mean, don't don't reward a Republican Party that uh, behaves and performs like it has for. I don't know, this the entire this entire century, for sure. Uh, Mark in the Western Burbs. Yeah. Hey, Dan, I wanted to use the um, platform of WIND to reach out to these enlightened CEOs, you know, the Scott Kirby's and uh, Richard mm-hmm. Branson's. They're so behind DEI. Um, maybe they should give up their position and, you know, really put their money where their mouth is. Think it'll Be, happen? Yeah, right. Thanks for the call. Be the change. You first. Right. Mm-hmm. Mary Kay, Western Springs. Hey, first, I want to thank those people who um, who got in touch with me on Twitter. And I want to also put out my Facebook thing. It's uh, called Mary Kay Roth Fitness. And you can message me 
on um, the Facebook thing, and that might be another way we can get more people involved. Um, I'm calling because I had this idea, Dan. By the way, that's an, it, in, 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 you didn't say what's involved involved in the Parents Matter Coalition circulating yes, the petitions to yes. get signatures for the ballot yes. question. Yeah, exactly, because that's one thing that we're going to work on hard. And you know, I know Kevin yeah. and Austin, and we'll figure that other stuff out. Never. Um, but yeah, that's a, actually that's a good example to this whole discussion we're having about better to get involved with that petition to get that question on the ballot than work for any of these. Uh, um, ghosts uh, in the Republican Party. I mean, there's, I, there's you know, very few state, even state legislators left up north of I-80, yeah. and I'm not sure yeah. any of them are worth a lick. So do do something that actually was productive and put a question on the ballot that the left doesn't want on the ballot. Yep, help us out. We're gonna, we'll appreciate it. Um, so my idea was, um, it's like, get, you know how with the State of the Union they have, like, Sally house code and joe the plumber sometimes and they talk to the american people you know i was thinking get regular everyday citizens or even better a, a mix of you know illegals and citizens bring the family bring call them the second family you know the first family second family bring them in and have them live somewhere in dc maybe even in the white house you know put them somewhere on the property and um and live with them and really understand what the day-to-day thoughts, just feel them out, get their thoughts and feelings on a regular basis. Not just, you know, when we vote or, you know, when they're talking on TV about, you know, like live with them and understand what the real American people, you know, are do are dealing with, you know. And the other thing, Dan, you talk about the question of are you better off? Um, that's too simplistic now because I've said that to a lot of people and they're like, oh, better off, blah, blah, blah. The, I notice the men I talk to mostly talk about the economy and their liberal wives are still going to vote for Democrats all the time anyway. So they're canceling each other's vote. Um, but more concrete with that. Are you close to retirement like I am? And will you be able to t- retire? The answer for me is no. Um, I have to work longer. Um, how much money do you have in your 401k? What's the economy doing for you? What's your grocery bill? We hear all of this stuff in the news, but how hard do these young folks who are in their 40s have to work to just pay their mortgage and their taxes and their food bill for two kids in like a neighborhood like Hensdale, Western Springs, LaGrange, whatever? They're working their friggin' asses off, and they're not even they're they have no better quality of life. That's getting worse and worse, and you. If you if you put it that way, phrase it that way, um, maybe that'll help more people jump over to our side. All I'm right, just think- those are real packets. Yes. Okay. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Mary Kay. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for your fight. She's not giving up. I love it. Uh, Ruth and Elgin. Hi. Um, I just wanted to read this little uh, short thing that I wrote about uh, abortion. It's Please hear my cry. I do not want to die. I'm here now, I thought, safe in the womb. But will I live to be born, or will this be my tomb? Will you destroy me before my birth with no thought to my life or what it could be worth? I could be a doctor, poet, or dancer, maybe the one who would destroy cancer. But this will never be known if to die is my fate. It will be all over. It will be too late. Thanks for the prose, Ruth. We appreciate that. I'm glad we spawned so many uh, 
poet, yeah, poets uh, um, among uh, our listeners. Yeah, oh, it is March for Life yep. Day, right? Uh, oh, Joe yeah. Biden was asked about that. What's your message to those attending? March. He said, what's your message to those attending the March for Life? March. And then he, with bizarre eyes, walked away from the camera. I don't even understand that. I don't don't, either. I don't get it. I don't think he does either. Good Catholic, Joe Joe Biden, good Catholic. Um, uh, Here's a a good representation of the left, too, on the issue. Uh, This popped up this week. This should be chilling. Uh, Gwen Moore, she's a congresswoman from Wisconsin. And so I... I can tell you, I'm pro-life. I'm pro-life for two seconds after you're born. <gasps> so, you know, that's oh. not where most oh uh, s- s- most non-barbarians oh are. Um, but, uh, you know, it's so this is the, the, which we won't get into today, but it's just the whole messaging thing. She, she's obviously a pro-abortion extremist, and that's what needs to be understood about this issue, and it needs to be message properly going into going into this election season all right uh chuck and delavan hey uh thanks about that range anxiety that was my garage band in high school this guy he was talking about chickens last week now he's talking about range anxiety it was an acdc ripoff band <laughs> highway to hell was my favorite song i was a lead singer no he uh, must have hey. killed with that yeah the bad cats is opening up in lake geneva this goes all the way back to Al Capone with hidden tunnels that lead for miles and miles under Lake Geneva. And they're going to have the ribbon cutting ceremony at four o'clock. Everybody get over there. It's going to be a freaking huge party. It's going to be nothing but excitement. So anyway, if you can get up there, thanks Thanks. a lot. And everybody get out. Thanks Chuck. As always. Listen to Dan and Amy on your smartphone. Download the AM560 mobile app today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.